Welcome to School of Everything Else. One day I'll remember. Remember everything that happened. The good, the bad. Those who survived and those that did not. Home is behind the world ahead And there are many paths to tread Through shadow to the edge of night until the stars are all alight Mist and shadow Cloud and shade Will you have peace or war? All shall fade I will have war Follow me. One last time. Welcome back to a series that has spanned three different iterations of this podcast. What began with The Lord of the Rings and the first two Hobbit movies on Digital Gonzo then picked up with Battle of the Five Armies as Digital Drift and now concludes with an extended edition epilogue with School of Movies. What this show is intended to be is a final summation of the Hobbit trilogy now that we've had three years worth of access to the making of materials, appendices and extended movies. All the stuff we didn't say immediately or didn't know after a single viewing of the theatrical editions of each. Now, not many movie series warrant this, but if you've heard our Lord of the Rings shows, uh, where we invested four to five hours per film, it's like five and a half for each one, uh, you'll know our attachment to this world and the teams who brought it from the text to our screens. So just like we can't begin without talking about the Lord of the Rings in general for three hours, we can't say goodbye without looking back. With us to finish what we started together is Chris Eason of Game Burst. Oh, hi, hi. Yes, a very long journey. It has. It really has. We started, what, in 2012? So it's been three years. Um, and Sharon, hello. Hello. Now, to start off, I'd like to talk about fan edits of this trilogy, because uh, some of the best are made by gifted editors able to assess the 8 hours, 42 minutes of on-screen material and scissor out, most of the time fairly seamlessly, the unnecessary. Because this is actually a really good way of getting to the meat of what some of the uh, core problems are with the Hobbit trilogy, but also what some of the best aspects are. Uh, now, most of the fan edits I've found appeared to be pushing the movies into one single sitting film. Uh, there was one at three hours long, which was very much styled after the Rankin Bass Hobbit, so it was like an epic version of that. And the other 
at a butt-numbing four and a half hours, which is logistically speaking an impossible ask of a mainstream cinema audience and would make for exhausting viewing if this was your first time with The Hobbit story on film. Chris, could you sit through four and a half hours? No, I can barely sit through three. (laughs) (laughs) Both of these were bringing it more in line with the book, the uh, casualties often being the ties with the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but also, as stated on previous podcasts, attempting to remain too faithful to a characterization light children's story written in the 1930s crammed with action and incident as swiftly escaped as it is stumbled into and it would make for unevenly paced viewing and an actual 100% faithful movie would end up nigh on unwatchable little more than an extended montage by today's standards now in retrospect and I said this of our Battle for the Five Armies show I don't think this should have been three films I initially said that any chance to revel in Middle-earth, any extra uh, opportunity, would leave me wishing for more. Uh, But if this had been two films and not three, then what I would lament not being able to see was never really in there in the final three movie cut anyway. Uh, Namely, more material bridging that gap of 60 years between the trilogies, which obviously isn't really part of The Hobbit. Uh, But crucially, two movies would have tried the patience of mainstream audiences and critics everywhere less, and The Hobbit would be less reviled, and Peter Jackson's reputation would have taken less of a kicking as a result, which has tarnished a lot of the incredible work he and the Weta team have accomplished in the past. Now, my edits are called The King Under the Mountain Edition. The first of the pair is very similar to what An Unexpected Journey was going to be back in 2012, up until they moved to the three-movie structure. It ran from the Erebor backstory, which many fan edits leave out but I love, all the way through to the barrel sequence. The second film, The King Under the Mountain, runs from meeting Bard all the way through to Bilbo coming home. I could have called this one there and back again, but I didn't want to fool myself that this was going to be... It's going to run parallel with exactly what Jackson and co originally wanted in that two film structure. Uh, This was basically my edit, you know, assessing what really did work and what really could be lost in retrospect. To accomplish this, more than three hours of material had to be removed, bringing it down to five hours, 38 minutes over two films. Vast swathes of subplot, B and C stories and action just got erased from the film's body. So what's missing? For starters, the entire Dol Guldur plot. That's from meeting Radagast to freeing Gandalf and encountering Sauron. It's just gone. Gandalf disappears, just like in the Hobbit book, and then reappears at the battle near the end. Ultimately, this is too important a subplot to cut into tiny sections, and too important to the... As in, like, I couldn't just reduce it. I had to remove it entirely. And it's too unimportant to the focused story originally in The Hobbit to make it worth keeping in. We all saw what happened, so it's not like it never did, but just like the Tom Bombadil section of Fellowship, we don't get to see it in The uh, the King Under the Mountain edition. I do, however, keep part of the Rivendell White Council scene because it's lovely and one of my favourite bits in the trilogy and because they talk about the quest for Erebor, which is relevant. And then as soon as Saruman turns it to, yes, well, what about Radagast and what about the, you know, all of this talk of uh, Mirkwood and just... just gone at that point. Now, so one of the um, editors managed to put all of this stuff, including the um, uh, meeting with Thorin uh, at Bree at the beginning of Smaug, 
uh, into one like 45 minute fan film called I think it's um, The Hill of Sorcery which is, is really professionally put together it's like you know if you love Gandalf this would have been a great little accompaniment to uh, watching The Hobbit and um, I suppose like for the extended editions they could have put it in but obviously this would have cost them millions of dollars to make so it, it had to be included but ultimately that's one of the, the biggest diversions that this trilogy takes um, Thorin's paranoia has been lessened as, uh, as have the on the nose parallels with Sm- Smaug so this means his slow-mo threats and the gold breakdown is gone and, and it was the sad conversation with Dwalin that turns his thoughts back to what matters. So rather than going, I would not part with a single coin. And it's like they're really hammering in. Hey, huh? It's like Smaug. You get it, kids? As I said back uh, a year ago, well, they had to make it, you know, understandable for seven-year-olds. <laughs> They made it very understandable. They made everyone in the audience feel like seven-year-olds. Uh, but yeah, also basically I took out lots of scenes of Thorin being an asshole to the other dwarves. Because basically if you focus it on him jealously guarding the treasure, and uh, then he ends up as being more sympathetic and less of a kind of a monstrous hoarder. Which does kind of change the tone of the Five Armies section. Um, other casualties, some characters. No Radagast. I like him, but he's only connected with the Dull Goldor section, and if he's in it at all, then that thread goes nowhere. So just him turning up, just it's it's going to go nowhere, so he's got to go. Every scene with Alfred Lickspittle has been either removed entirely or trimmed down enough to make him an extra. I personally quite like the silly performance, but it does not fit the tone of the overall film. The master is similarly greatly reduced, though I do adore Stephen Fry. I will never stop loving Stephen Fry. But for the same reasons, basically. It doesn't... Like, there's bits where Stephen Fry... Like, you're supposed to be worried about the people of Lake Town. And he goes, I'm trying to evacuate myself here. And it's like, oh, come on. Totally, that just went into the gutter. Literally. Okay, so same for Legolas. He's now barely in it and never indulges in lengthy stunt combat. Now, didn't we say, Sharon, that we've we've gone with the theory that Legolas and his twin brother keep turning up? Remember, Chris, yeah. the uh, his twin brother is the CGI Legolas <laughs> that keeps coming along and like leaping in and doing, you know, all, all this crazy action shit. Um, I called him Lega Lamb, but Sharon pointed out that he's lamb dressed as mutton. Or, or mutton dressed as lamb. So yeah. technically he's leg of mutton. He's a leg of mutton, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so you don't, you don't get any leg of mutton and barely any leg of lass at all. Like he turns up, he looks pretty, and he's there just enough to make it relevant that he was there because it, it, it people would be asking, where's Legolas if, um, you know, you're talking to Thranduil, King of the Woodland Realm, and Legolas, his son, is never even mentioned. Um, there's no Thrain at all. So all that Thrain subplot is gone because there's no Dol Guldur. Uh, there's barely any Dane because he looks rubbish. See that episode we did on uh, Battle of the Five Armies for more on that. A lot of the lengthy action was cut down. There's no uh, wag chase. There's no stone giant battle. Uh, although the bit where uh, Bilbo almost falls off the mountain is still there. And that's still one of the contributing incidents to him deciding, I've got to get out of here. Uh, it's, it's important. But there's some care- careful cuts to remove the stone giant battle. Even though that was in the book, it just smacks of you know one extra action scene. Uh, the goblin chase through Goblin Town is almost entirely gone. They they have a quick fight with them. And then they, they run out of the mountain. And um, you get that they're still running. 
and Bilbo's trying to catch up with them. But they're all of that careering through the the, the, the shanty town and the physics defying falls and drops and stuff. It's just gone. The extended barrel sequence is trimmed back, so there's no CGI Lego mutton uh, bouncing on. There's there's no bouncing bomber that turns into a tank, but Keeley still gets shot. That seems the the drama's still there. The Tariel stuff remains, so I think it's very important to retain a female energy to the trilogy because uh, the way Tolkien wrote it, not a single female in there, and it's a total sausage fest. Uh, that that's that's tedious, and I really love uh, Evangeline Lilly. So in the King Under the Mountain, she remains, although in a lot of other fan cuts, she's gone, or they reduce that relationship to almost nothing. And that, and the way I cut it, now she kills Bolg when she. Um, like kicks off from the uh, wall he ends up careering down the mountain and then gets crushed by a falling bridge which just happened to be falling at the same time because uh, I mean you know there's, there's so much contrivance running throughout the film that you know why shouldn't he also be crushed by some falling rocks um, and uh, uh, yeah there's no Legolas is not the one to take him out basically she kills him in uh, in sort of righteous vengeance for uh, Keeley um, uh, the running around of the mines is gone along with the gold statue the dwarves do enter the mine in a brief you know, joining sequence and are confronted with a terrible sight, which is too informing on Thorin's change in disposition to lose. Actually, I ended up, I've taken, after watching it that, uh, that time, by the way, Sharon, I took that bit out. So that's mm-hmm. not there anymore. I'd, I'd made it that the dwarves ran in. They saw the, uh, um, the, the poor dead dwarves in there, but they, it just, it, it made no sense. They'd run all the way in, then run all the way out again and immediately be outside watching what was happening. So I just got rid of that. The, the other thing is that they leap across to, you know, that bit at the beginning of Desol- of uh, Five Armies, Chris? Mm. They're sort of, they're watching Lake Town burn from the hilltop. That's like, that's like, that's a day's journey. <laughs> and they just sprinted over there on their little legs and then they walk all the way back to Erebor again. Anyway, the skirmish in Lake Town takes place entirely in Bard's house, so it doesn't go outside, and uh, Legolas doesn't end up, um, you know, kill, uh, fighting Bolg. That just sorry, Legomutton. That bit's uh, actually that, that is actually Orlando Bloom when he's fighting Bolg. It's just he's fighting a CGI man, I believe, played by Lawrence McCorey in the performance capture stage. Uh, so yeah, that's entirely in Bard's house. He doesn't get taken outside. A lot of the fighting in the final third is trimmed down to mere minutes, just to give you a flavour, but not to drown you in CGI puppets clashing. The Dale sections, at least, had mostly real people, and the impact is felt throughout them, and the chariot chase is also gone. Did you see the chariot chase in the extended edition? Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't mind that. I, there are definitely bits of the... the, the uh, that fight, I think, go on, especially, go on far too long, especially the uh, uh, Biffa, Biffa Buffer, or James Nesbitt, uh, jumping on the uh, yeah, that troll. That is awful. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I, I did like that they actually showed the other hot, the other dwarves doing something because in the yeah. theatrical they just disappear. <laughs> yeah, and the bit where uh, uh, Biffa's axe comes out—that's awesome. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that because they then made him speak, and that, I, I just thought that was. Nah. Just playing to the camera and it was just awful yeah um and that also that that scene was massive that that whole bit of trying to get the 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 orc off the axe was massively slapstick and i just i it did not was. like it it was the looney tunes <laughs> uh okay additionally uh the funeral scene at the end was retained from the extended edition but uh most notably the payoff for the acorn which Sharon and I consider to be the greatest loss in this trilogy. We'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, the mirror of the silver glass scene in Return of the King has been reinstated. Um, for the majority of you who haven't watched the appendices for Five Armies yet, Bilbo plants his acorn in the midst 
of battle within Dale, in the blood and the mud, expressing to a despairing Gandalf and Bard that this tiny little hope is all anyone can do in the face of death and destruction. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful scene. And Peter left it on the cutting room floor for whatever his reasons were. Um, he, he likes the idea that it's implied he goes home and, and, and plants it. But ultimately, the implication would no, have been nowhere near as strong as the assertive planting of that to retain some hope. That's a that's an important moment. It was all almost frustrating to watch it in the additional material to be honest with you because it it looks almost complete it looks like they had it um i mean i could have understood if it was like a really rough cut and um you know maybe just even a, a storyboarding or something like that and it was just an idea that never got fully developed but that was something that they had all the way through to final edit and then for whatever reason, they decided to take it out. But and also to take it out and to leave it out of the extended to edition. Leave, exactly. That, that's kind of what I mean. For it not to be in the extended edition, I think that tiny little scene came to epitomise for me what I found so frustrating about the way this trilogy ended. Mm. Um, because the fact that it was something that was a... It was a character moment. Um, it was... Uh, significant not only for Bilbo but also for Gandalf mm-hmm. um, and it was pretty significant for um, uh, Bard as well to be honest because that, that that's kind of a moment in which you see his his leadership but also his slight anguish at being in a leadership role when he can't see a way forward yeah you know all those things coming together and so perfectly contradicting, what, well, not contradicting, but being set against what is about to happen, which is some moments of ultimate despair. And I just, I, I couldn't understand it. I have racked my brains and I cannot think of a reason that it's not in there. Because it can't be timing, it's really short. It can't be because it, it sticks out like a sore thumb because... I slotted it in really neatly. It's just before the dwarf charge, before Thorin gets his groove back. Absolutely. The only thing that I can think of, and I really, really wish there was somebody that could disavow me of this, the only thing I can think of is that they didn't, for some strange reason, want people thinking deeply at a moment that was all peppered with battle fun. And that annoys the pants off me. There was another bit that got taken out, but as Thorin's uh, at his funeral, Gandalf gives a long speech about the other king under the mountain is dead, da, 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 da. and he it's it's really quite heartfelt and, and wordy. And the final version of the film is just the king is dead, long live the king, and everyone goes hey, and it's like that's literally the most obvious thing you could have said at that stage. Yeah, okay. I, I just I just watched that um that uh, uh that documentary bit yeah, um. Bit. Uh, like a couple of hours ago and yeah that that was a really good scene i wish that that would have been a lot a lot better than just yeah just that like five seconds of looking sad and then cheering basically yeah. i mean basically i think um, someone mentioned it on set i think it might even have been ken stott said well I, I should really say the king is dead long live the king and pete said yeah actually yeah do that but whatever fran and pippa had written got superseded for that which is a great kind of you know in the moment thing why not just do both yeah, you could easily done both. Done you could, the, yeah, did, did the eulogy first, and then they all 
say the king is dead. Long yeah. it's, it's kind of an obvious thing, but still, it, it allows an extremely well written, well honed script of the Hobbit, which by and large is actually really good. It's 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 not Lord of the Rings fantastic, but ultimately they managed to really work better and add Shakespearean language to. Uh, I mean, you know, all the Thranduil stuff. They basically had to make that up. We take it for granted, but there was so much new script added to these films. They had to make the dwarves actually different characters. Yeah, because I mean, they said um, it just says the dwarves grumbled in the yeah, book, they, and that's they, it. <laughs> they said at one point that they thought this was going to be a, an easier film to to write and uh, yeah. direct and produce because it's you know it's a shorter book but when you have 13 dwarves um, and you've got to get you've got to characterize you've got to make them different otherwise you've just got 13 people and you can just cut those down but you can't because it says 13 specifically yeah. um, and they, they did a very good job of making everyone distinct um, and they said they they try to do um they try to make this just the silhouettes so if you look at them when they're you know walking over the mountain ridge you can see oh that's x person that's y person i'd say um, to and, fa- yeah sorry Karen. And, they, and i'd say they they did that very well and that must have been a lot of work because yeah the mm. reading the hobbit there is no characterization apart from what color hoods they wear mm. or the, the bombers fat yeah bombers fat foreign is grumpy um, he's your foreign is foreign and then everyone else is just the dwarves, yeah. really, because Balin isn't even a big character in the book, yeah. um, and he's like directly mentioned in Lord of the Rings. So you'd think at least one of them, he, he would be, but yeah. But uh, ultimately, I think to to fans and people who actually engage with the series, the dwarves all, uh, you know, they, we've grown to know the dwarves over that time. The average viewer, though would not be able to pick any one dwarf out of a lineup. They might be able to point out James Nesbitt for you, or the hot dwarf. One of the hot dwarfs. Please. One of the many hot dwarfs. Oh, <laughs> fine. <laughs> there are several. Most of, the, most of them appear to be in the line of Durin. Um, but, but, but the average person was totally nonplussed by, the, by these guys. The average person was left incredulous uh, to, to this film series. And that drives me nuts, because I feel like things could have been done to make this, you know... A, a, a crowd pleaser and a show stealer for a lot more people than it actually did. It feels like this one's almost more of a fan film. It almost felt like they didn't want to end on a downer, and that's why all of these bits and pieces were cut out of, of sort of the final third of the final third, if you like. Well, it's literally like two, three scenes, a couple of bits. But I mean, and like. So it shouldn't make that much of a difference, but it really does. Yeah, yeah. We watched a fairly compelling little um, six-minute thing earlier today, which is just all of the negative stuff from the uh, docs put into uh, to one fairly seamlessly edited sequence, where, uh, which was the the problem with the Hobbit, specifically the problem with the Battle of the Five Armies. And from the looks of it, there was a lot of uh, they didn't have time to really plan this out years ahead in the same way that they did with The Lord of the Rings. They didn't have time specifically to storyboard the whole thing and to have it playing through in its basic version before they started filming. And that's a problem because it seemed like a lot of stuff was improvised at the time. And it was, it was, like, it was more like jazz rather than an opera, which, um, you know, sometimes freeform jazz can be great fun to, to take part in, but quite tedious to sit and watch. <laughs> and listen to. <laughs> But uh, ultimately, you know, you the, the this could have been stuff that was um, 
saved in the edit. I, I, it, it feels really churlish to be able to sit here from the outside and go, oh, just, just make it better. It's as obnoxious as shouting advice at the greatest athletes in the world from the comfort of your sofa with a beer can balanced on your ninth belly. Um, but ultimately, I, I, it feels like, you know, looking at what we now have, if they knew what they were going to end up with, they probably would have made it better. Yeah, and you, so you said the edit, but if they're talking about if you're talking about the theatrical edit, they didn't have any time to do that either. Yeah, because um, I, I know for the Desolation of Smaug, they didn't have all the, the the CGI work done before they had to do all the sound sound effects and soundtrack stuff. Yeah, yeah, and they had to stay till four o'clock in the morning to actually finish that. Yeah. Um, it was like the, the way Return of the King, they were up until all hours over and over again for that, that final year just to desperately try and get it done. Yeah, and there was a slight parallels with what, how Return of the King ended up and yeah. how these Hobbit films uh, in in a bit rushed. But yeah, yeah I, it's actually um, slightly, slightly odd. I, since sort of watching the, all the making of stuff again, I actually am more surprised in a way of how good certain bits of the film ended up yeah um because there's a few times that peter jackson said you know we were just winging it we had no idea what we were doing we just (laughs) like shot stuff try to make it work um and you get there are some scenes that are fantastic just you know like they are sort of similar quality of lord of the rings but unfortunately it doesn't you know it doesn't mesh together there is fantastic bits and there are awful bits so they, it would have been nice if they could have done a bit more for the extended edition. Maybe not actually done the extended edition. Maybe mm. done a director's cut where some of the stuff that they didn't have time for maybe was cut out. And yeah, it the, didn't work. It, I've, it's very rarely does do they actually trim the stuff back. Sometimes they have to reorder them. But uh, I think uh, the the bit where. Um, Bayon walks in at night and uh, skulks around his house and Bilbo spots him uh, was theatrical edition only, obviously because he's outside chopping wood in the uh, extended edition. But th- it's just bits here and there. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, like, if some of this, like, the, like even Lyra started going, oh, when she sees rubbery, phys- like, <laughs> ragdoll stuff. And this is stuff which is like millennial rubber and, and, it's it's way past the millennium now. Well, yeah. Um, the, I mean, my my least favorite scene of the whole thing is the um, the Erebor fighting Smaug bit, and that the seed that that is just a CGI mess. Mm. It does not look good. It doesn't look impressive. It just looks like this is yeah millennial CGI mm. and or running having, around in a green screen. Um, oh yeah, and yeah, um, there's a dragon have, over there. Throw a grenade at it. Yeah, and having watched uh, now watched that. Um, behind the scenes stuff like that's what they were doing they did not have enough time to do sets yeah because they moved it to three films they had to have a culmination of the second film so they just shot stuff and did just they just did not have enough time mm. to do the cgi and i think it it sort of shows again how invested weta digital are that if this had been another company it would have probably looked worse it was only because the people actually were infused about what they were doing that they actually you know stayed probably longer than they should have finishing it um because otherwise it just would have you know it would have looked far worse than it was yeah 
I mean, I just, I've just been watching the prequel Star Wars films, and that second film is very dodgy on CGI. Yeah, that's uh, class low in terms of like high product, like ev- like class leader in terms of everybody went to see it, but absolutely terrible looking by today's standard. Mm. And the third one as well is awful. The second and the, one, and the, the first one's terrible too. Yeah. At least, at least the first one had practical effects. Though, yeah. Is, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the second one, the second and third ones worked, didn't look that good when they came out either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sharon, you said that wouldn't it, you know, now in retrospect, since the uh, actual uh, sacking of Lake Town by Smaug takes about nine minutes, could they not just to put that at the end of Desolation of Smaug? It, it would have felt more um, more worthwhile, I think, to be honest. I think that's the one of the things about the way the films are split that um, frustrated me the most is that Smaug doesn't feel whole. He's got half going on in the first film and in the, the second film, sorry, and I'm not wildly keen on the whole uh, gilding the dragon section anyway. Yeah. So I could really have done without that. But the fact that I wouldn't have minded if he'd been most mostly in the third film or mostly in the second film but the fact that it's split almost down the middle yeah it just feels like you never quite get enough of Smaug all in one go well there's no build up at the uh, beginning of the, uh, the third film you just launch straight in there yeah um, and then and then before you've got even got a chance to to get used to him being the big bad yeah. he's gone yeah which felt a little bit off. but I How mean, many people honestly would be like, well, I'm not coming back for the third one, Dragon's Dead. That's all we need. Because <laughs> well, I would be like, well, yes, now, and then you hint at the end after that, the, the Thorin starts walking down, you're like, oh, this ain't over. And like that, that in itself has far more, like we know what's going to happen when the dragon goes in to attack uh, Lake Town. He's going to burn the shit out of it. There's only one thing that could happen. And, Ultimately, when when you know Thorin goes down towards the mountain with that look on his face, you're like, anything could happen at this point. So if that had been your ending, mm, it would have been mm. quite powerful. Wait, who's going to go? I'm not going. Want to go? I don't want to go and see the uh, third Hobbit film because that second one was so spectacular. Who's going to say that? <laughs> at the end of Fellowship, people said, "Like, yeah, is people that are it? idiots? Yeah, people I mean, are idiots, and, and yet they still turned up in droves to go see Return of the King, and it wasn't because they held back Shelob." Yeah, I think I think I might have said that on the uh, Battle of Five Armies episode we did. Or I meant to that. Yeah, I would. I wished they'd not had that superfluous Erebor fight scene and just put yeah. the Lake Town bit in because you know you're adding a you're adding a, a combat scene to end a film when you've got one that starts in the second in the next yeah. film. And I still don't like the cut of. You know, as soon as he dies, there's just a sudden cut to oh, we're all on the we're all on the lakeside. I I. Even watching Game of the Extended, it's still the next day. Yeah, there's just a massive cut. That, oh, this is the next film, and this is the actual proper start of the film. Yeah. They, they reference the um, you know, the beginning of the Two Towers with uh, they want to just make it similar to when Gandalf, you know, you see Gandalf fighting the Balrog, but it's nowhere near as good as that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and no, it's not, Christ, no, it's not the same area as well. No, so you, you can that either. you can do a, a big because I mean that just ends with a, like a suddenly Frodo waking up but because it's so far away it makes it less weird when you're basically you know um Smaug is dying in the air above them and then suddenly jump cuts the next morning and then they're all just there it's like also they forgot what film they were doing the beginning of Return of the King starts with a very small very dramatic scene of two cousins one of whom kills the other yeah yeah no I mean ultimately that that tone 
you know, they, they may have worried, oh, Christ, we've only got two hours and 18 minutes of uh, uh, Battle of the Five Armies. If we, if we lose this 10 minutes from the end here, we're going to have even less time. That's when you add drama. And this is, again, this is me being an asshole outsider. And if Fran and Pepper ever listen to this, well, we couldn't bloody write drama, uh, in, you know, in the amount of time we had and then get all the actors into place. And But the, I don't know if that, why they're Australian. <laughs> um, <laughs> but enough. just like that, there's so much action ultimately when it comes to the uh, uh, Battle of the Five Armies it, that they didn't need to worry about, oh, we're not doing enough action for this film. Ultimately, increasing the, the the Shakespearean back and forth and the humanity of it um, would have been, A, satisfying for an audience because there would have been much more investment, and B, before the payoff of the actual battle, and B, cheap. It's a lot cheaper to have people talking to each other. The writing takes a lot less money. So, I don't know, I did... The- work with your absolute strengths and their absolute strengths are the abilities of Fran and Pippa to, to be able to adapt the text, whether overly simplified or overly dense, into something really compelling. To, to put um, to work on dramatic scenes though involves the one thing that they clearly didn't have enough of, and that's planning time. Yeah. They needed a better overview of how it was going to finish. And you can, the more I watch of the, the extra material, the more that becomes apparent. And you can see even in the fact that they start so strong Mm. with the stuff that they actually had properly planned out. It's, it's almost faultless in the first one. Oh yeah. Um, People were complaining about that first one, but watching it again, I love an unexpected journey. It's a wonderful film. And I I think the conclusion that I'm coming to is, although it's obviously never going to have the same impact on me as the Lord of the Rings trilogy did, they've still managed to put together by accident almost a better film than most directors and certainly production teams can put together on purpose. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, it's not as if you made a Hobbit trilogy. I don't understand. Did you trip <laughs> <laughs> by the end of it? Yes, it would appear that that was the case. Um, but I think, although I am still carrying a lot of frustrations about the way it rounded off, um, I, I don't really blame anybody for it, except for whatever bastard decided to say that Peter Jackson could not start from scratch with his prep time and, you know, mm. really develop it the way he wanted it to, because no, we've got an end date and we've got to have it out by the end date. So but all folks, that time that Del Toro wasted, yeah. you don't get back. Yeah, for folks not in the know, from from the sounds of it, they they didn't keep this very public. They don't talk about things going wrong, really. Um, Del Toro was on board for X amount of weeks and months and years, and eventually uh, he was out and Peter was in. And rather than going back to the drawing boards, they were like, right, this is pretty much what we're going to do. Right, moving on. And... uh, they, They had to proceed apace. Now, fortunately, what they had down wasn't too bad at all but a lot of it a lot of it uh, you know th- this all relates to, to to one of my main main issues uh, but a, a lot of it had to be kind of we might have to fix this in post 
specifically as as it goes on, as you say, Sharon, the uh, some of the core scenes they did first, uh, the the everything at Bag End, uh, Bilbo and Gollum. Um, they they knew exactly what they wanted, and th- for that reason, the the first film until it starts getting a little patchy at the very very end because they had ma- had to manufacture an ending effectively in the at the end of the second act of a first movie, um, which is by the way a reason that like uh, we haven't actually talked about the experience of watching this thing, Sharon, but. Um, it doesn't really have that dramatic climax the way I've edited it together because you get that wonderful moment with Bilbo and Thorin, which I did not cut out. And you know, I've never been so mistaken in all my life. And that happens. And then immediately they're like, right, we're off again. There's a bear chasing us. And then they're, they're floating down the river and it, it cuts to the, the flight to the mountain because I'm like, I don't want to lose that. And then it cuts to sort of the Smaug's eye opening. and um, But it doesn't have that moment of like, you know, Thorin saying, you rescued us from prison, Bilbo. Thank you so much. I do wonder if there was some kind of scene that was originally going to be in an Unexpected Journey version one where they they did have a sort of a, a dramatic reconciliation with with Bilbo as he set them free or something along those lines. Because without it, it, it ends in an Amon Hen style archery sequence, which is then cut very, very short because no, there's no Legolas bouncing on people's heads. But what was it actually like sitting down and watching them? Uh, you know, film one, evening one, and then film two, evening two. Sharon? Um, well, it didn't... I think what what struck me the most was that it didn't really feel like anything in particular was missing. Um, and whether that's because of the whole Tom Bombadil defence, um, just because you see it doesn't... Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it didn't happen. I, I'm not sure. But the only thing that I kind of felt was notable by its absence or his absence specifically was Gandalf but when I thought about it that kind of makes sense for the story because in the book Gandalf disappears for vast swathes of time um, and basically leaves the team to fend for themselves mm. and you there was more of a sense of that um, in the, the version that you cut together. Um, but, I mean, I was very impressed by the fact that a, a lot of... And it, it must have been really, really hard to get the, the edges to join right, if you like, with, considering how the music overlaps and, um, you know... That's things. the thing. Visually, it changes from one scene to the next. There are no no wipes, nothing fancy, no dissolves. Yeah. It just cuts from one scene to the next. But the music goes straight through. So it goes... And then it just carries on going. So, like, if there's a sudden abrupt cut, you hear it, you feel it. Indeed. But uh, to be honest with you, I mean, you, that only happened a handful of times. Mm. Um, the, but- the troll scene is a nightmare to edit through. Because <laughs> basically, if you don't want them talking about bogeys and, and, and farting, then you basically have to have Bilbo sneaking up and looking at them. And then suddenly they see him and they start shouting at him. Then the dwarves attack. And then... Before Thorin can make a decision about what's to be done with Bilbo, Gandalf turns up and goes, May the sun take dawn, take you all, and cracks a rock, and then they all get turned to stone. It's really abrupt. It's really quick. But it also exposed one of the greatest weaknesses of that early part of that first film, which I complained about the first time, but really sticks out now, especially that we've seen five armies. There is no way on God's green Middle Earth that Thorin, at that stage, we're going to kill Bilbo, would say, all right, put down your weapons, lads. We're done for. And allow him and his dwarves to be put into sacks to be eaten. That would never happen. He would say, either 
charge and they'd go in and go in, go for the kill and try to get Bilbo back or retreat. Basically, he would have to just give up Bilbo for lost and try to save the the rest of his dwarves. He's not going to give up everything for a, a, a hobbit he's only just met. And that didn't happen in the book. In the, in the book, they, they get jumped and punked. But specifically, later on, he, you know, it's when, when uh, you know, Keeley's saying, you know, I'm sick, Thorin. And he goes, uh, we've got to carry on without you. It's, it's kind of a, they don't they don't make a big deal out of the fact that um, Thorin has to make that decision. That it's not a characterization point. It just cuts straight to they're in sacks. Comedy routine talking about they've got worms. Yeah, I think they probably had to. They thought they had to go to the sacks, which was in the was in the book. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that doesn't. I, that's not. <laughs> I I, don't, I hadn't really thought that much into to that bit. But yeah, the, like in when he's in Bag End, he's like says to Gandalf, like you know, I'll not be responsible for his welfare. Yeah. And suddenly he's given up everyone yeah. for, for one friggin' Hobbit. Originally that was supposed to be Boffer, I think. Uh, and yes, oh God, no, I can't let one of my kinsmen die. And But they changed it for Bilbo. So when Martin Freeman's there, they've CGI'd him in. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that whole scene where he's in the, um, in the handkerchief after being snotted up yeah. it's that's the worst bit of CGI I think I've ever seen <laughs> just like it just doesn't look the lighting is wrong it's obviously not in, you know any sense of being real especially as the trolls holding him look quite real but him yeah. he, he, a real person actually looks worse than the CGI thing holding him yeah it's like it's 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 really a, like it doesn't fit with the uh, um, the rest of the tone. Like the, it, it was, ultimately, Tolkien wrote this and then went on to a world where cave trolls don't say anything at all and mountain trolls don't men, you know don't really have any much of a particular opinion on anything. You know, he's got these guys bickering with each other. I mean, they, they it's not a million miles away from yeah. Why can't we have some meat in um, uh, the two towers and the, you know the, the uh, Urukai and orcs bickering over food but they don't talk about bogies a floater might improve the flavor gonna have a sprinkling of squirrel dung and it's like yeah this is like shrek at this point (laughs) it suddenly really leaps sideways and you know then radagast turns up with bird shit on his beard (laughs) yeah i think that's something um they, they they said about it was Philippa said about um, about the the songs because because it's a children's film or children's book yeah. they make it more child friendly we can do all these songs and my first thoughts of that was no because they're all awful yeah for like two or three but um, I think they see this is a, a reason they got they got trapped into thinking it like either it's a you know fits within the Lord of the Rings universe and is the same tonally which there's a few scenes like that or it's a children's film. Yeah. So you get mm. all the slapstick humour and yeah, the trolls. They seem and... to want to have their cake and eat it on that count, didn't they? Well, yeah. that's having two different cakes on the same plate, one of which is flavoured like pickles. <laughs> yeah. Some some of it does sort of work because it is supposed to be built by writing it and telling it to yeah. young hobbits. So like, I, I'm not too bad. I'm not. I don't mind about too much about the um, the goblin stuff, well, except for the falling down on the down the pit yeah. in the on the on the wooden frame but some of the stuff is a bit more silly um but again that's the great that's goblin built. has a giant poo bucket that they make a yeah. big deal of in the extended edition yeah you don't see shit. that in the, i did not ever, i i 
watch the film again after I'd seen that. I tried to look out for it. You can't see anything at all. They made a big deal out of it. Two goblins stood in front of it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but, but over the years, I have become very attached to Barry Humphrey's Great Goblin. Yeah, I, I, it, I don't, I don't like the extended edition of that of the Goblin. No, because I don't. Do you like, not like his song? Down, I, down, down yeah. in Goblin Town. It's, I don't mind the song. It's a lot better than the book, for one thing. They don't what, have down, down, down Goblin Town. Ho, ho, my lad. Yeah, um, <laughs> but I, it's just a big. I, there's a big tonal shift between him ending his song and then sort of sitting on the goblins to then, yeah. why, you know, why do you come into my kingdom armed? And it's like he's still. Would be you know, so bold as yeah, to come for me. So it's on. like all sort like silly, and then suddenly shifts to being yeah. really like overly he, serious. He literally it's... ends his song making a farting noise with his arms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you won't last long. Yeah. At the end of my. Wrong. He, he means <laughs> they could feasibly if they'd wanted to maintain that that um split tone um and it, it although it really would have taken you out of the the immersiveness of the environment but if, if each scene where they'd wanted to have a sort of a really comical exchange that was full of of um fluids humor um, and, Are you going to say uh, Galadriel and Bomba engage in a fart contest? <laughs> no, because she'd beat him <laughs> more <laughs> powerful only... than any other. Um, but no, I was I was thinking you could have you could have basically cut back to Bilbo in Bag End writing and and sort of make the point that whenever you have these slightly childish, um, over the top introductions to certain oh, sequences, that's, that's apologetic. That's... Well, that's, that's like saying, that's yeah, sorry of, about that, folks. It's just Bilbo putting it in for the kids. Well, that's kind of the, the point that people make when they compare the tone of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, the books. That the, the, the Hobbit, when you read it on reflection, was written by Bilbo, who was tweaking what went on to make himself look better and make the story a little bit less scary because the, the idea of it still scared him. Um he has no problem with the uh, people of Lake Town being butchered during that, uh, that that massacre at the end, though, right? Yeah. Well, this, see, this is the thing. This is why it's it's it it's atonal. It, it, it is. Yeah. It, it doesn't. Well, he. Yeah. I, well, I would say he wasn't there, but mm-hmm. there are so, so there are some things like the the goblin things. He was there, so like it's a bit sillier because he was directly involved. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it doesn't it doesn't necessarily work as a as a hypothesis for the he whole thing. He never saw the goblin king. No, but yeah, yes. I just, that's why it doesn't work. Offer says he had a giant ball bag under his chin. <laughs> Indeed. Um, I got some questions here as well. Feel free to add some of your own. Um, uh, why did Thranduil mobilize a thousand elves to go fight the dragon and then just bugger off back home again? At the very, very beginning. Remember when they're running out of Erebor, it's on fire. There's a thousand elves on the hilltop. They must have mobilized that morning because, um, like, yeah, the, the dragon's only just started attacking. He's been flying around for what an hour. They have run at full pelt from the greenwood. Do you know how long it takes us to mobilize a thousand elves just to get them in armor and just just to get the armor on those guys? Like armor takes a while to get into, and a thousand of them. And then he goes. Nah, we're just here to make a point. Right, off we go home, lads. Like, like, did no elf behind him go? Are we not actually going to fight then? Because <laughs> it yeah. ju- it just seems like like you could say he was assessing the scenario and going, nah, that's a dragon. But but what did they come to defend them from? 
The only thing I can think of, he's checking to see if the dragon's going to also come to Mirkwood, or the Greenwood, as it was called then, um, just to see, you know, so they've got out of the wood, because that's obviously flammable, um, just to see if the dragon's staying in the mountain, or is it going to start laying waste yeah. to the surrounding area, and Maybe. as it's not, we can so just go. Um, yeah. And they sort they sort yeah, it doesn't... I don't know. Maybe, maybe they didn't know it was necessarily a dragon. It could have been something else that there are reports of something attacking maybe the they mountain. Were just, uh, they were on their way to somewhere and were just strolling by and they, and they heard from a thrush or something, <laughs> dragons <laughs> attacking. Because in The Hobbit, thrushes talk. Yeah. Yes, they do. The other alternative is that they had come to gloat. <laughs> we're up to our ears in gloaters. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, have you watched the beginning of uh, that, that section uh, recently and, and uh, clocked to look at Thrain? Watched it a few days ago. I don't. Yeah, um, Thrain is played by a different actor uh, to Anthony Share, um, and then that's fine. Ultimately, you know, you didn't realize you needed a dramatic scene out of him at that point. Um, but he's missing an eye. If you look very closely, he's got like a gnarled up eye, like an eye hole in his head, and it's clearly got scarring around his eye. And that that was an actual design. If you play the Lego game, he's got like a, a red eye patch to make a point of it. And then later on, at the Battle of uh, uh, Moria, in the extended edition of uh, Smaug, uh, it, cu- it has the same character, but this time played by Anthony Sher, who wasn't in that original flashback to the Gates of Moria. And uh, that's when Azog cuts off his ring finger, although we, we don't get that further flashback until later when we meet Anthony Sher's um, Thrain. And, of course, his eye's grown back because they needed to get a dramatic scene out of him, and for that you needed to be able to engage with both his eyes or something that's a weird design choice to go back on yeah that's very much a we hope nobody notices scenario (laughs) kind of like Dane Ironfoot (laughs) carry on sorry Um, the only thing I think that's something that was left over from Del Toro's design and they just didn't have time to do anything it went for the first film yeah I haven't actually I, I didn't actually notice until I said it in uh, Smaug when you know apparently they went back for the DVD release to to take out Smaug's legs. Oh Because right. um, apparently in the in the theatrical he has four legs. Oh right, and um, in the and uh, extended he has two. Yeah, two legs and wings. They because yeah. obviously for the first film they just they just did the bit, you know the bare minimum amount of animation of the dragon yeah. they could. But um, he has different talons when he opens those uh, those doors. You can still see them. He's got big, thick, stumpy fingers. Yeah, as opposed to the long, scaly, like, um, talon claw things. You could, because they still look a little bit like his back feet look, um, so you could argue that that's his hind leg pushing at the door as he comes in, but... You'd lose the argument. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think botching the Thrain side of the story or dropping it entirely from the theatrical version had that much of an effect in the end? Because it feels like he lifts right out of the story. I I, I don't like it. Mm. I I think the um Dol- uh, Gandalf going into Dolgudur is a lot worse for having him. Because mm-hmm. uh, I liked it just him going in alone, mm. as far you know, like, um having the face face off with Sauron and then being captured. Mm. Um, but then you've got well, a you've got added tension of this person. Uh, Gollum guy, yeah, being creepy around Gandalf, and then, and then he, and then, well, I'm, I, well, I don't like that because then he gets sucked away, and then they have the Wilhelm scream, which is the worst use, yeah, 
of the Wilhelm scream in all history. Yeah. Imagine if at the point when Azog had stabbed uh, Thor and it would have gone, Ah! It's, I mean, how, I said to Sharon, how is that different? Thrain dying and Thorin dying. Just it, the only difference is that we've spent more time with Thorin. So it's, it's unforgivable to have that scream at that point. Yeah, and it's also I mean, yeah, I'll, obviously I'll forgive them because that would be ridiculously pom- pompous for me to say that about masterclass <laughs> that Wetter actually are. But it's, it's a shit fucking move. I'll say undervalue Sauron. That is Sauron killing him, the yeah. most evil person except for Morgoth. Even if and, you can't get Anthony Cher to scream at the top of his voice because he's old and you don't want to hurt him, um, get somebody else to scream. As I recall, Fran's pretty good at screaming. There are enough other stock screams they could have used instead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Never use the Wilhelm for dramatic purposes, ever. No. But certainly not for something like that. You only use it for people falling off stuff. Yeah, and it's a joke. The whole thing yeah. is an audio joke. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the issue ultimately is that nobody noticed that Thrain wasn't really there when watching the theatrical edition. I was th- you know, thinking up until seeing Desolation extended, we're going to see Thrain in the third one. Oh, actually, no, he's in this and oh. He's dead. There he was gone. They, they don't do anything with it, though. I think yeah. I agree. I'm inclined to agree with Chris. It it lifts right out. There's no reason for it to be there. Um, they it doesn't build on uh, anything to do with Thorin because mm. they barely have a relationship. Mm. Um, it doesn't build on anything to do with Gandalf because we've seen the version of events in which Gandalf does it all on his own and it works fine. There really is no reason for that to be. For him to be there, it doesn't accomplish anything. It's not in the original Hobbit story. It's just why. It actually, it he Gandalf did encounter him, and he had gone mad in the uh, the appendices. Chris, oh. have you read um, Unfinished Tales? Uh, bits of yeah, I've, I've re- I, re- I have read the um, the Erebor quest stuff for Erebor, a yeah. while ago. But. The quest for Erebor actually sounds more li- and feels more like the theat- the video. The- the cinematic version of The Hobbit than The Hobbit book. 
because it, it strikes that balance. It's Tolkien writing it after having written Lord of the Rings, at least I believe. Um, and uh, it's got that tone. So he marries the two up. Uh, ultimately, he was going to rewrite The Hobbit in a way that would fit in with uh, Lord of the Rings, but uh, he, never got ar- he never got around to it, which is a damn shame. But ultimately, that this came a lot closer to realizing that. Um, would it not have been possible to have Gandalf recount to Thorin about encountering his father at some point deep in the story when Thorin's in the middle of dragon sickness, you know, yeah, have well, think- that be the thing that, um, I mean, Gandalf never says, freaking Thrain says, tell, tell my son, I love him. Gandalf forgets to mention that. That's not yeah. a huge deal. And it was because it was only in the extended edition. They couldn't even use it in the theatrical edition. Yeah, um, and also I think in the actual in the the unfinished tales, it he doesn't meet him then. So I'm sure he meets him and gets the key from him. So he has that at the beginning yeah, of yeah. the Hobbit. So it's not the right place to have it anyway. Yeah, you could have had it. At, you could have had it. You know, a flashback when he gave him the key, saying, oh, "You know, I found Frain in Dolgodor when I went there another time." Apparently. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, I, the thing about adding frames, I also don't like the. Um, I really like the um, Bree bit, the beginning of Desolation of Smaug. Yeah, but I do not like the flashback, especially because they do the flashback, have frame, and they do a, like a very quick cut of everything else that happens. It's like, yes, that happened in the last film. I know all that. Previously on the Hobbit, it. yeah, <laughs> it's just, it's just it adds, you know, extra time that they could have been using better. Yeah. <laughs> But ultimately, that yes, yeah, something could have been done at that point, and he didn't necessarily need to absolutely have because they ch- changed things around anyway. Um, he didn't need to have met Thrain in Dol Guldor. He could have basically kept the fact that he had met Thrain and Thrain had gone mad, and he had kept that from Thorin for that long. But he's like, I've got to tell you this now because you are going down a dark path. This is not what your father would have wanted for you. And basically, that could have been a major contributory factor to Thorin's breakdown, and then come back from that. But because it was a disposable section of it and a disposable character, they did not capitalize on that, which makes me sad. Um, and what about the swapping and changing with Azog and Bolg? Because if you pay close attention in the middle of it, um, it's in the appendices, uh, the, the the guy who um, Azog kills at Weathertop was was there at the pine tree section that they pasted over the Manu Bennett Azog because that was Azog beforehand. And then there, it was going to be that, you remember that raggedy one who tries to cut off Gandalf's uh, finger with the ring on it? Yeah. That Ga- uh, Galadriel turns into a scatter of bones in the extended edition. And uh, Sauron mutters, fatality, <laughs> flawless victory. <laughs> yeah, that was another version of uh, Azog. That was actually supposed to be Azog. Uh, and uh, so, you know, when he's actually there about to chop off uh, Gandalf's figure, that's another version of Azog they were going to use. If you look very, very carefully, he's actually at the uh, flashback uh, on the uh, steps of Moria. He's fighting, I think he's fighting uh, Dwalin. So, yeah, look out for that raggedy giant uh, Gundaband orc there. And Bolg was also a standard for many Azog moments as well. They, they expanded on the Bolg character. Who, if you if you go by the original text, Azog was supposed to have been killed by Dane Ironfoot before the Hobbit, and a lot of the, the Bolg was the one leading all the armies. But they they divided the characters up again. But as I said to Sharon, 
there is no real character to them. They hate dwarves. They're very aggressive and they serve Sauron. That's it. There's almost no characterization of orcs in the uh, Hobbit films. I think part of that is the fact that there are so many versions and they become so interchangeable. If they just picked one and stuck with it and given that one version more screen time and more dialogue, then you would have had more of a character as an antagonist mm. as it was i think because it was also split between this general and that captain and this lackey and it, it just it became pointless wasting any time investing in any of them because you know it's going to be somebody else next time they have a a, a scene between them hmm. yeah it's the other one that um uh azog was going to be there at the um point when they're uh, when when Keeley gets shot, uh, when when the elves are attacking, they uh, he's even in the trailer at that section. They pasted Bolg over him. Um, Bolg has to be ever so slightly bigger so that they can in fact <laughs> get uh, get uh, get a larger sprite over the top. Um, and it is a damn shame because ultimately their father and son orc team use that mm-hmm. when Bolg is killed, have Azog grief stricken but filled with rage. Make us for just one second think, maybe the orcs had their own thing going on here. Maybe Tolkien really shortchanged them. Do you know, uh, there's a film I'm really looking forward to, which I think might actually start doing that, and that's Warcraft. Um, I'm probably going to be eating my badly chosen words (laughs) here in a few months' time when it turns out to be rubbish, but they literally can't do a worse job of characterizing the orcs um, than... The, that sounds terrible. They have really made the orcs feel like real creatures, especially when they are actually played by real people and not you know, with CGI or you know even some of their performance capture stuff look quite wibbly. But they don't really feel like people uh, people that go home and have to sleep and get up and then have to interact with other orcs. They're all basically the same: angry, aggressive cowardly in some cases and that's about it and that feels like, like since the elves they go into in such depth and the dwarves finally they go into in such depth and the men the hobbits all races of middle earth get explored except for the orc it's a bit disrespectful of the actors to do that as well if you think about it to go back and say oh it actually doesn't matter which one one of you is in this particular section, so we're just going to paste one over the top. Imagine if, having got to the end of the trilogy, or at least, you know, the, the sort of the rough cut of the, the second film, they'd said, do you know what? We think we did a bad job with Tariel. We're going to paste Arwen over the top. Well, then that's different, because ultimately Tariel did, did actual acting. Uh, an example of a character who did almost no acting, and they just pasted a, a version of that actor over the... Over, just just onto the screen was Dane, and they never really went into it in the uh, infuriatingly in the extended edition. But it's obvious from Billy Connolly's incredulous, and then they made me wear armor and walk around, and I was you know having to sort of work out and like sort of sit on a peg, and just that he clear he doesn't like Lord of the Rings. He doesn't like people who like Lord of the Rings. Doesn't like fantasy. Doesn't like much of anything really. And from the sounds of it, they just asked him at some point. Billy, do you just want to do this in a sound booth? And he was like, yeah, I'll do that, fine. Um, like either because they didn't want to violate the contract, or you said this was this one felt more the most like stunt casting. Sharon. 
Yes. Yeah. It it felt the most like they got an idea in their head of who they wanted to play that role mm. and he didn't audition or anything like that. They just contacted him and said, "Do you want to come and do this?" Yeah. And there wasn't time once he had been in the studio for well, been around. He was around for a while from the sounds of it, like 3 months, which you wouldn't tell from the amount that he's actually in the film. Mm. Um you know, the, the, there wasn't time for them to go, "Can we get Brendan Gleeson on the phone?" or, you know, some somebody else who's more committed to actually acting or maybe maybe give him some stuff to do but ultimately they could have swapped Dane out for any number of other actors and ultimately the the, the illusion of that character would still have been about the same um, you know had they not given him anything more to do fortunately he gets a bit more to do in the extended edition but it's it's minor well, actually, this is a question for, for Sharon first. Did they earn the glowing she-elf moment in the end? Because you said back when we did Desolation of Smaug that they, you, they hadn't earn earned that moment. <laughs> I think um, the, I, I do appreciate it more and more the more I see it. And I think they uh, – let's put it this way. I no longer believe it is a question of whether or not they have earned it. Hmm. Okay. Um, now, the question I was going to ask us, because this is in a lot of those, it's like everything wrong with the Battle of the Five Armies in 18 minutes or less. That in I watched all three of them this morning, and I'd been holding back on them because I, I hate that series. But they, they did have a fine point, which is that this series leans on. And I, had, I am a major fan, but I had not noticed that particularly The Hobbit leans on oh my God, we're in serious trouble, we're going to die, we're going to die, and then someone jumps in and saves the day. I hadn't realized how many times that happens. But uh, it, it sort of it binds in with the fact that this, this happens to the dwarves so many times in the book, that they get captured or into trouble, and then they get out of that trouble, and they get saved from it. But they manufactured like, tw- like twice as many moments that were added on. So that really overemphasizes that factor. And we're going to go through them now, just off the top of our heads. And once we've gone through to that end, you will never be able to watch these films again without thinking, so-and-so saves the day. So what? From, from, the, from the very beginning, Thorin stops Balin from being fried by a dragon. It's a quick one, but yeah. <laughs> um, and then doesn't Thorin also stop his grandfather getting fried by the dragon or going in to get the Arkenstone? I mean, these are just minor ones. They're getting pulled back from the edge. Um, the uh, Keeley comes in to rescue uh, Bilbo when he's in trouble with the... Oh, hang on. Yeah, no one actually comes to rescue Radagast. He has to work on his own. <laughs> um, although he he, you know, he he deals with his hedgehog on his own. Actually, also, no one rescues uh, uh, Thrall when he's being beheaded at the, uh, the, the Battle on the Steps of Moria. In fact, uh, had... Yeah, a tragedy occurs because no one's there to leap in and save the day. (laughs) Similarly, when uh, later on when Thrain gets his finger cut off by Azog, everyone's too busy fighting to notice the the new king getting dismembered. Okay, so yeah, Keeley comes in to save Bilbo from the uh, trolls, then all the other dwarves come in to save uh, uh, save, um, Keeley and Feely and Bilbo from the trolls. Uh, Then Gandalf comes in to save the dwarves from the trolls. Then Radagast comes in to warn them about the wags. Then the wags turn up. Then Radagast goes running off. And then they're about to get eaten by wags. But then the elves turn up to kill the wags so that there aren't any wags. Uh, Then the stone giants... Fortunately, the stone giants kill each other before they can really... (laughs) 
mess the dwarves up, then no one saves Bilbo from Gollum, because it's one of the only pure moments in the book where no one saves the day, and they really capitalize on the fact that, in fact, if anything, Bilbo saves Gollum from himself. Gives him a chance to be saved, even yeah. if he doesn't take Gandalf shows up and saves the dwarves from the goblins. Do you want to jump in at any point, by the way? Um... <laughs> Then at the uh, the pine trees thing, uh, Thorin goes into on a suicide run to kill Azog and gets saved by Bilbo and then by everybody else. Then the eagles jump in and save them at, uh, and save the day. It's always the eagles. Yeah, um, but like they're they're not alone at this point. It's the Deus Ex Machina. Um, they they that no one saves them from Bayon. Just a door. That's just a, a lucky door. Um, which just happened to be the exact distance away from their run from Bayon to just about get him to, to, to be locked out of his own house. Um, then when they go into the woods, the elves show up. Oh, hang on. Bilbo shows up to save the dwarves from the spiders. Then the elves show up to save the dwarves from the spiders. Then the dwarves are about to be killed by the... Yeah, Bilbo shows up to let everyone out of jail and save the day there. Then the elves show up to save them from the uh, attack at the gate. And then... It's exhausting going through all these, by the way. Anyone want to jump in? (laughs) Uh, But a bard saves them from the orcs by letting them on his boat. Technically, yeah. They were about to be eaten. The, the only thing that's different there is that the orcs aren't literally upon them at the point when they uh, let onto the boat, but they were just behind them on the bank. Good point. Then when they're in the... Um, let's abbreviate this. When they're, <laughs> when they're in uh, the uh, town and Keeley's being healed, uh, well, uh, Tariel shows up to save the girls and Keeley and the other dwarves who are there with Legolas from the orcs that are attacking. And... Um, then uh, the dwarves show up to save Bilbo from the dragon and then the dragon flies off and destroys Lake Town but Bard shows up a little bit too late to save the town from the dragon well, that, that's actually a, 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 a straightforward confluence of events he's the only person who stands up to him so that's fine and then th- I'm just going to cut it short Throughout the Battle of the Five Armies, there are multiple occasions when specifically the elves jump in and save the day at the last second, or Thranduil jumps in and saves the day at the last second, and Legolas jumps in and saves the day at the last second, and Tariel, and Keeley, and Thorin, and Dwalin, and Bilbo, and it, it it's cumulative. So that now when I watch it, I'm going to be like, so-and-so saves the day. And it's <laughs> it sort of, it diminishes it when it's it's... It's like a battle between one dwarf and a bunch of orcs, and it's like, oh, I, I might be slightly overpowered here, and then the orcs, then the, uh, an elf jumps in and, and uh, turns the tide. And all of the tragedies happen when this fails to happen. You know, Keely, Feely gets killed because no one was there to save him from the uh, orcs. Keely gets killed because Tariel had the wind knocked out of her for that one crucial moment, and Thorin gets killed. Uh, because he stopped to gloat and make sure that Azog was dead. When instead he should have gone, right, I'm just going to walk away at this stage. Eagles have come, because the eagles come in the last second and save the day. And, oh yeah, Bard comes at the last second to save his kids, and no one comes at the last second to save Lickspittle, because in the extended edition, he gets killed in a Looney Tunes catapult. And I, I, I can't stand the character, but... Um, 
that that's even that's the worst aspect of it. Just having him wander off is is actually a a, it's it's a good kind of yeah he he was horrible so he just wandered away and got to live like um, Lucius Malfoy. And he he came in and saved uh, Gandalf from the troll. Yeah, technically yeah he did. Um, And Bob saves him by shooting that troll uh, with a tiny little withered hand. Yeah. But he only saves him in the theatrical edition. (laughs) Carry on, sorry. That's all. <laughs> just, I don't. I really don't like that scene. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, well, I was saying. I was actually. Going, there's a bit of a parallel between uh, that and in Return of the King, where Gandalf sort of show, uh, has faces off with the trolls that burst in through Minas Tirith's gate. The trolls take down uh, the trolls. But it wasn't. I mean, I, and, and the weird thing about the um, the 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 dodgy staff, which wasn't great. But I still, I oh yeah, because he gets given it by um, for folks who haven't seen the extended edition. That'll be a lot of you, by the way. No one seemed to be all that fussed about this. Um, he gets given a new staff by uh, Radagast, and and then when he starts to try and use it on a CGI troll, who then f- tries to hit him with his club, and then Gandalf turns into a CGI rubbery man and jumps out of the way. <sighs> it also, I mean, I had assumed it doesn't work properly. Yeah, I would assumed the power was like in the staff, or is the staff was an extension of their power rather than it being in that magic crystal at the top. The wand chooses the wizard. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't, you, you don't want Rad- So you don't want Radagast's staff. Nah. Anyway, but that's apparently the one he keeps all the way up to Fellowship until yeah, he yep. uh, gets taken off him by uh, Saruman when uh, yes. he gets captured. As soon as that. And an scene eagle comes and saves the day. Yeah, as soon as that scene's happened, I thought, oh, okay, that's where we got that stuff then, because, yeah. yeah. That, is, that is a problem. Now, to summarise the trilogy, we're going to look at the worst and best of it in that order. Now that we've gone through all of this stuff, we can look at the real worst stuff and then come all the way back in a pendulum swing with the really best stuff so as to end on a high note. I actually have uh, in order my 10 worst things and 10 best. A lot of them we can breeze over because I've already voiced them, but some of them haven't really got my teeth into yet. And you guys feel free to add any as we go along. So uh, in order from best, well, least worst to most worst... Uh, at number 10 at number 10 occasionally juvenile sense of humour yeah I'll go with that it's it's annoying but it's not terminal yeah I mean, it's, it's a book written for kids by a man who uh, was quite stuffy in the 1930s but he wasn't writing bogey and f- I want to say fart jokes were there fart jokes? Uh, gross out know. naked dwarves horrible CGI in a fountain Jokes. I, I think if it had been written at another time, there might have been no. Because I mean, I don't think that side you really talked about that stuff, even in a yeah, in a jokey children's way. Ninety um, percent of the population wouldn't even know what a bogey was. Yeah, it's coarse humour, so it's not not British. I say. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe that's why it doesn't feel right. It's yeah. not British enough. I mean, that doesn't mean that there wasn't like plenty of slapstick stuff, and 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 I think basically the kind of stuff I'm talking about here is the worst stuff in Return of the King when uh, and Two Towers when Gimli becomes the uh, comedy sidekick. 
you know they 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 take away what dignity you had from him in fellowship um but yeah occasionally juvenile sense of humor it's it's certainly not a, it doesn't kill it and uh you know you, you can just say well it's for for the younger kids if that had been its worst crime not a problem uh, bard was boring at number 9 uh, anybody concur on this one not, not really no? I, I thought it was fine he's okay he's oh, a uh, character <laughs> how about his bow he's, abilities because obviously well, that's a big deal for you well I mean I, I have now watched the making of the uh, uh, you know the, the fight yeah, the killing smaug scene and yeah. these Jacksons thought that was cool but obviously that doesn't work it was interesting how you know they've made him have a massive bow which they actually referenced from legitimate archery but mm. it the problem with I mean the problem with like having a long draw where you go past your eye it's very difficult to aim it's yeah, very difficult to I aim imagine. anyway yeah. <laughs> but um, there is some leeway of that because you could say if you're, if you're doing it for like you know like medieval watchers did it from 10-ish yeah. or to like 17 so you're doing it for you know like many years doing it every, every day you would probably get good enough that you could just look and shoot and actually using my bow I do a lot better when I don't try and aim for whatever reason <laughs> uh, when I'm using my longbow um, but yeah you cannot shoot that big sort of cast iron arrow from mm. a bow I don't care if you've broken it in half and added a lengthening bit firstly because the string will be then too short mm-hmm. you have to bend the, the, the limbs of the bow and the, if the limbs are not do not have enough you know can, cannot take the poundage that you'd need to shoot that mm. uh with any accuracy then yeah I just don't like that scene <laughs> the, the reason I say he's boring is ultimately he's the substitute for, for Aragorn in this really I mean he's your, your Aragorn type but he reminded me if anything more of Eomer like, there's there's not really much to him he's very earnest he's, he's a good hearted man um, but his his bickering with the master and, and uh, I almost called him Grima there <laughs> feels like Eomer <laughs> clashing with Wormtongue only he doesn't have that brilliantly malevolent you know that you see much Eomer son of Eomund um, someone of the caliber of I mean he's got someone of the caliber of Brad Dourif he's got Stephen Fry but they didn't really let Stephen Fry work they used Alfred as his mouthpiece far too much um, so I mean ultimately the, the master was supposed to be just venal and pathetic but yeah, um, the problem is in The Hobbit none of the characters are fleshed out enough to yeah, yeah. have a basis I mean yeah the master I, I, I think yeah, the character they got with Stephen Fry is what they were you know what probably Tolkien was going for yeah um, uh, and yeah Bard I you know He's, you know, he's not really a main character in the book. He's just a Bard the Bowman who mm. has a black arrow, which they don't even mention what that is. Um, so, but if you're going to have a five armies film, you're going to need to expand his. Yeah, character. but I, I mean, I think there was like there was humorous moments him with the, sort mm. of, you know, the spy network. He, yeah. Um, I did like his family, his daughters, yeah, and son. They've been quite lovely kids. So, uh, you know, I, and they did play more. a really important role in giving you a connection with Lake Town. Yeah, um, yeah. Because otherwise, you know, regardless of how Bilbo seems to feel about the dragon going over to burn them all to death, we needed something to give us a, an anchor point in that place and, and yeah. in those people. Yeah. Uh, okay. And to want them to benefit from what was happening with the dwarves as well. You know, you, you kind of... 
even though you know it's all leading to doom and ruin because there's a prophecy right there that's telling you it's all leading to doom and ruin um, you do kind of want to believe when Thorin says that he's going to share the wealth with um, with Lake Town and again if you have people that you engage with in Lake Town then you know that's what you really want the outcome to be mm. um, if all it was was the Master and Alfred then it'd be like well clearly we don't want the dwarves to give you anything because you suck yeah oh somebody mentioned uh, this was on the uh, uh uh, everything wrong with uh, Battle for the Five Armies. Um, Bard says, you know, we don't want the gold from them. That that gold is cursed. We only want enough to rebuild Lake Town because that gold's not cursed. <laughs> like ultimately, if everyone gets a small share of the treasure and like a few coins, and uh, you know they can rebuild their houses with it, you know, it's not going to take long before they start going. Oh, this gold is incredible. We want some more of that. Go and get it from those dwarves. And. Um, yeah, ultimately, it's it's all infected with dragon sickness. It's the worst substance ever. It's crack in metal form. Yeah, but they need gold, so... <laughs> yeah. I, know, I know the point is that, you know, just get our fair share, but, yeah, it's... How... It's pretty difficult how you would then make a reason for them going. Yeah. Um... Well, they 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 overemphasized the dragon sickness. I don't think that was really there that much. Um, it was sort of referenced in the book, but they really expanded on it in uh, the uh, in the films. Yeah. They, they, but but in doing so, they called into question um, any sense of future for that gold that wasn't absolutely baleful. Like you know, even after Dane became ruler of it, what are they going to do with this substance? You know that whoever's king is still going to go mental for it. Oh uh, yeah, well, I think I mean with Foreign's line, there was there's the implication that they are more susceptible to that. Because um, <laughs> Keely and Feely weren't. Uh, not direct line, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Thrain well, never I'm, seemed to be all that obsessed with getting it back. Um, so. Well, I, yeah. Well, the problem they've got is that obviously it doesn't cause a problem because Erebor becomes a prosperous place again. Yeah. Well, it's so the, that, that must be okay then. <laughs> yeah. Except for the fact that, like I said, they they really overemphasize the dragon sickness thing. Right. How about? And I know it sounds crazy. Thrain did get in there. He had that key, and then he went crazy for the gold, and then Gandalf met him. You yeah. know, that 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 then impacts on Thorin. That's the big reveal. Maybe, maybe Thrain is knocking around in Erebor. Maybe that would be a really fantastic little, you know, I don't know how he'd eat, but... Also, the, the, for the moon runes wouldn't work then. <laughs> oh, that's a really good reason not to do that extremely good dramatic uh, turn. Um, anyway, but uh, it, it could have ended up way too complicated, but ultimately Thrain is, you know... You want to be able to sympathise for Thorin. You want to be able to see him go mad in a way that you can relate to. And ultimately, they they make that kind of cartoonish. He may as well get dollar signs in his eyes at one point. <laughs> <laughs> he becomes Cyril Sneer slash Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, he does a bit. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, but yeah, ultimately, Bard was boring. But they, you know, they they were they weren't working with much in the first place. And Aragorn is obviously a deep and rich character who gets tons to do in the, uh, yeah, and they, the book. They also said that uh, in the making of that they have to like they can't just do Aragorn again. Yeah, 
um, they have to at least do something different and if there's not if there's not much to work with and you know it's a difficult character to write for he's you know all this <clears> responsibility thrust upon him and he has to be sort of like he has to be serious okay I, fi- I find Luke Evans boring then <laughs> how about that um, <laughs> maybe the, a more compelling actor might have uh, brought Bard out for me he's, he's not terrible I, I certainly would I'd buy him a pint and say well done but uh, but he's he's not uh, Viggo Mortensen by any means, and Viggo Mortensen could have played Bard. You know, although obviously, if he had not played yeah. Aragorn, maybe, maybe give uh, Stuart Townsend. A I trip. was just going to say, there was this alternate <laughs> universe where Stuart Townsend got to complete the Aragorn role. Oh God! Viggo Mortensen is playing Bard. They may not have got to return to the, of the king at that point. Uh, okay, well, uh, number eight. They left out the acorn scene. We've already talked about that. Yeah, that's it's, much it's... higher up my list, personally, <laughs> but yeah. It's not a killer, but basically because it's not there, uh, and we, I mean, we we didn't know... If we didn't know about it, it probably wouldn't be anywhere near as much of a problem, but obviously it, it's not that one scene. It's emblematic of all the stuff that they didn't do. Which... It's really, if you put it down on paper, it could be down to like ten things that would have improved the series. Uh, you know, ten things omitted, ten things included, and those you know, if those ten things omitted were quite long, and ten things included were quite short. Um, Radagast at number seven. Ach- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, it's too silly a character for me to consider that being integral to this film. Yeah, he, well, yeah, he's definitely not integral to the film, but I, um, I think I, I know what they're going for, and I, I, I don't mind Radagast as a character particularly. Um, oh, Lyra loves him. Yeah, I'll yeah, I, I see some of the kids. He's not Jar Jar Binks. No, no, definitely not. No, watching prequels yeah. again. Um, Obviously, they wanted to go for a different type of wizard. I mean, Gandalf and Saruman are very similar style of, you know, we are very powerful. We have to be relatively serious. Yeah. Um, and once that they wanted, like the you know the, the lowest wizard on the ladder in Middle Earth, so he has to be different. Yeah. Um, and obviously, because he is a bit more more spiritual and nature loving, then he might go a bit weird, being shut away in a cabin just talking to animals all the time. I do think there's a, a slight feeling of um, uh, not apology exactly, but sort of that's the tone that would have been held by Tom Bombadil if he'd been in the, in the first trilogy. He's not silly in the uh, Lord of the Rings book. He's actually quite grave. Who? Um, Bombadil, though Radagast is not—he's never in it. Oh so. yeah, no, I know, but I mean, in the sense of you know, this is your your nature connection. This is yeah. the um, the the wizard that, if you like, Gandalf kind of holds the balance between. I'm Radagast not saying they Ralph. shouldn't have included Radagast at all, but but they they sometimes went just a bit over the top. Sorry, Chris, you were saying. I was just going to say that um, Tom Bombadil is—I mean, he has silly moments like that song, that awful song he has. What oh, poor Tom Bombadil is a merry fellow. Yeah, it, that they, that could easily be seen as being—he <laughs> has whiskers on his chin and his boots are yellow. <laughs> yeah, that could easily be jollied up for a yeah for a, uh, representation. And yeah, I mean, but it doesn't say, and he hath bird shit on his beard, <laughs> <laughs> a stick insect yeah, I mean, in his mouth, and he keeps making bird noises, and he keeps a stick insect in his mouth, and a thrush under his hat, and he. He's friends with hedgehogs. 
Yeah, definitely. The, I mean, the stick insect and the, the bird ship was going a bit far, but... You know, I, I... It's too many things. He's a bag lady. <laughs> <laughs> well, but but think, at the same time, yeah. he, he didn't break the film. He's just emblematic no. of them, like, gilding the lily a bit too much, you know? I, I Also, I love seeing Sylvester McCoy working again in such a prominent role after all these years, so I kind of... I, I'm glad he's there. But if they took him out, and the, he's... You know, the, the, the film would probably have registered a little better. Also, the CGI bit with the bunnies and the sled <laughs> really didn't need to be there. So maybe if he had taken a less active role. Well, there's anything about they, they said in the, the, you know, just having the wargs chase the, uh, the the dwarves is, you know, they're hunting dogs effectively. They'll be able to smell where they've gone. Mm. So you need something to distract them. Um, so they probably could have caught something if they'd had more time they probably could have caught something better than giant rabbits or as yeah. it is a bit too much uh of christmas but um it's not the father it's the fact that it's just obviously cgi well, it looks like something out of yeah. the attack of the clones apart from in wood rather than metal um uh, yeah uh, next one down number six uh, alfred lickspittle and the master for obvious reasons i don't think i really want to go into this in much extra detail i love stephen fry um and actually I quite admire the fact that Ryan Gage managed to make so much of the film his own but it also feels like he was like the star of the show at an amateur dramatics society production of A Midsummer Night's Dream and everyone fell about laughing at his bottom the weaver and they stuck him up on the cinema screen and everyone was cold to him the fact that people hated him so much and kept talking about him he was a mistake that ultimately the, the the character himself, these fish are illegal, is much funnier when delivering dry witticisms like that, even if he, he doesn't even know he's being dry, but the, the, the actor does, than going, bollocks, my lord. Yeah, oh, that's it, yeah. In lovely bit yeah. of mushroom gravy. That's Blackadder. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they, they, yeah. The, the character itself, his, his, his himself is not necessarily bad they just yeah, go too much of the low humour yeah which reminds me Rowan Atkinson could probably have also played the master of Lake Town <laughs> Tony, Tony Robinson would have made a better Alfred of her yeah as like he's you know you can make, make him more Baldrick um, yeah than, oh god yeah, yeah no, it would have felt very 80s though to see that <laughs> yeah, actually well, taking yeah, place the weird kind of wish fulfilment for you know uh, <laughs> Blackadder fans um, next thanks one down number five Legolas uh, just all of his dramatic stuff's awful, but his his action. There's this miss, this same as like the the, the uh, misapprehension that people find Alfred hilarious when they don't. It seems like people find Legolas incredibly fun to watch when they don't. No one was there for Legolas, nobody. And and all these fights have zero attention because we know he's fine in Fellowship of the Ring. Ultimately, if he'd been trying to safeguard characters that we really cared about, directly, mind you, not getting into personal scraps with um, Bold that we knew he'd survive, but directly trying to protect Tariel or um, the, the, the kids, that would have been one thing. And to have Legolas actually... It's the fact that he's so arrogant and so cocky and aggressive... And like all of that, you know, you hate the shield slide in uh, Helm's yeah. Deep. It was that moment stretched out over dozens of minutes, yeah. and it's torturous. Yeah, the um, the only good, well, I think the only 
battle bit of his that I actually like is when he's sat on the tower, shooting arrows down at the the orcs running at foreign. At least that's it's he's trying to protect foreign, you know, which he doesn't like for one thing, and you know, eventually it's useless because there are a lot of orcs you've only got a very limited amount of arrows which yeah. is the one thing they do not do in the films a lot is people running out of arrows yeah um he's in in other scenes he's shot like 20 and he's, and he's still already got still right. like 10 in the quiver but but that scene actually would have been perfect and actually would have been fine to have Legolas there if he had shot a bunch of arrows to save Thorin from reinforcements coming to help Azog and shot them all down but then ran out and caught Azog several times but Azog kept on coming and then ran out and then had to uh, stand powerless uh, and try to act but not be able to get there in time as Thorin died. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were doing the same with Dwalin, if you remember in that scene. Dwalin was trying to stop... Um, Dronlin was trying to get there, but they cut that out because it was supposed to be a very isolated fight between um, Thorin and uh, Azog. You undercut that if you make it about Legolas hanging upside down from a bat, swinging on top of a a giant troll with hooks in his eyes and maces on his amputated legs. That The same exact troll, by the way, that we'd already seen die twice in the battle. It's yeah. this this collection, like they they gilded the lily, that they they overstuffed that turducken of a, uh, a character so many times that when you replicate him, it's like this thing is magic. As in, it's not magic to watch. It's just it turns up everywhere in the extended edition. On the in the theatrical edition, it's not so noticeable because they cut out the chariot sequence. Um, but uh, in this. Uh, it's a disgusting, weird overindulgence, and he's riding a troll. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, ultimately to see Legolas fail, and you know to, to flash back to that bit after Gandalf dies and Legolas comes out, and like everyone's you know beside themselves in a mourning. Some of Orlando's best acting is is when he's just going, like, I can't even comprehend what I've just seen. Like Gandalf has just died. In fellowship, for him to be there when Thorin dies and unable to shoot him with his magic, for, for Legolas to not be the awesome top shit. Yeah, but do they get in um, oh. uh, Boromir as well? So they're all trying to get to Boromir, and then yeah. he and uh, Gimli are very late. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, basically, Legolas is, is at his best when he's um, actually uh, conflicted or confused or uh, uh, angry, but not having a direct dramatic role in things. He's a better support character than a lead actor. My God. And the, you know, Orlando Bloom comes off as a bit of a dick in the, um, the, the extras. And I'm sure he's a nice bloke, but, um, but that kind of comes through in Legolas, that swagger. And it yeah, makes that. him quite difficult to watch. So that's debatable because um, apparently he has um, Zan has seen him in a pub um, uh, multiple times, and he's like, mm, "I was know. trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> you revealed the fact that he's actually as much of a dickhead in real life." <laughs> anyway, um, so of so course, yeah, because he lives down there, doesn't he? It, yeah, it's it's hard to watch Legolas, and there's so much of him, and he's entirely superfluous. Um, now, now we're getting to the meat of it. The lack of textured, detailed characterization of the dwarves. All like all of this like extra time they needed to fill in the uh, uh, Battle of the Five Armies. The dwarves are all shut in a mine 
um, they're in the middle of a siege, then's the time for them to go into their stories about what they did when they were young dwarves or what they wanted to do. That's just a bottle scene, just a few minutes here or there of dwarves talking to each other just to bring them out so that you care about them. Um, And they didn't. And the amount of actual battle that took place instead of build up is the difference between this and um, the two towers. There's a lot of differences between this and the two towers, but that was originally going to be the parallel. There was going to be the Rohan sort of, you know, build up and then the big war fight mm. battle, which would uh, slowly deplete, you know, both sides so that you could actually see suffering and, um, and, 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 and genuinely connect and invest in that side and it, it felt like the fact that when the dwarves came out the other dwarves and the elves were still hideously outnumbered and just because they've got 30 next to dwarves isn't really going to change much in fact technically all it means is that the uh, orcs can now start swarming into Erebor through the giant open door <laughs> well that, that's always the, the problem in things like this with hero characters is that they can kill hundreds of orcs or goblins and yeah. You know, it's just fine. Yeah, but, Dwalin even mentions, you know, yeah. it's, it's going as a hundred orcs, but that's fine. And there's four of them on screen at that point. It's like saying, "Oh, that'll be fine. We'll take out twenty-five each." And it's yeah. it, it, there's never going to be a stray axe. If he'd said a hundred with a genuine sense of fear, would that not have been so much better? It's, yeah, it's, it's about a hundred. Like we cannot survive this. Just the idea of that the odds are overwhelming them, as opposed to, eh, we can do it. We're 13 dwarves and we're heroes. <laughs> They're pretty much not going to kill us, are they? <laughs> yeah. I think the um, the comparison that, that they themselves made with the two towers should really have alerted them to what they should have been doing with this. Mm. Because the two towers is the one of the... Uh, the Lord of the Rings that suffers the most in terms of the theatrical cut and they must be aware of the positive response that they got when more characterization was reinstated into the extended edition yeah most of the stuff that gets reinserted for the extended Battle of the Five Armies is just extra action which uh, already we were numb to it in the cinema so um, it, it, you know watching it a second and third time it just it the the Middle Earth films on a sliding scale for me with Fellowship at the top almost exactly neck and neck with the two towers a slight decline for Return of the King ever so slight for uh, Unexpected Journey which I still love then a decline for the Desolation of Smaug and then a fairly steep decline for uh, Five Armies which is not a charming or fun film to watch or, or engaging I mean technically Return of the King isn't a fun film to watch but it's it's very very compelling and it puts you through a serious emotional ringer whereas Five Armies kind of made me feel numb far too much when it flares up with Tariel and, and Keeley and with uh, Thorin and Bilbo and Galadriel and Gandalf 
then it's wonderful, then it's beautiful, it has its highs, undeniably so, but it can't sustain them like the uh, Return of the King can. Um, number three, lengthy and tedious action. No, no more required. Just, yep, too much of that. Number two, far too many green screen and CGI quick fixes and shortcuts, which from the sounds of it were a necessity of the fact that they just didn't have the time. But uh, if you if you watch the, um, the the new ending for Unexpected Journey, which wasn't originally going to be there, a lot of that is you know, carefully thrown together with CG, and then they do a bit on the mountaintop. Yeah, that's. I, I was sort of thinking of like what are the two things that make this um, sort of lesser than Lord of the Rings, and just sort of like just not necessarily characterization or things like despite just. Um, but you are lesser now than you have ever, ever been. <laughs> um, just sort of feel, and yeah, the CG. I mean, the uh, watching the, the making of the Moria. Um, yeah, they started well, having real goblin costumes and animatronic faces. Yeah, um, and then was the case they found out that the actors it was too much, it was too hot, so they took off the faces. Okay, that's fine, just do the CGI faces. Then it all worked. Mm-hmm. The, the goblin, you know, the actors, not Moria, the uh, Goblin Town. Yeah, Goblin Town. Sorry, uh, they got, Moria is um, when they were all in full prosthetics and it was all yeah, the, people that was actors, good, yeah. chittering goblins. Um, one of the best, most realistic, believable goblin attacks ever. Um, but yeah, Goblin Town. They, so, you know, they made the costumes too big, <laughs> so they, they, um, so they took off the faces and just were doing do CGI faces and all the orcs, mm-hmm. all the goblins um, started moving properly again because obviously they're getting too overtired. Yeah. Um, and then they did it, and then they just decided at the end, oh, we're just going to do CGI for everyone. It's like, well, but you had some, you know, the co- the costumes look really good, the mm. movements look really good. Could you not so, slim those down and just, like, you know, go back to the draw? Because well, why not? Well, I, if they'd just done that, but just with CGI faces, it would have looked a lot better. Yeah. Because at least you've got the movement of the characters right. The If you're, like... Quite a lot of the shots are probably of their bodies anyway. Yeah, um, some still slipped in. They're, they're, you know, if you look closely, the the close up stuff in uh, in Goblin Town, but it's mostly when the doors get snatched. Yeah, but and they so it's just like you know they just yeah, sort of at least they tried, but then they just they went to CGI too quickly. Really, yeah. um, uh, it, they didn't have time. But <laughs> it feels out of place as well because if you remember, if you go back, like this, it's one of the first times in the trilogy that you've re- they've really interacted with speaking CGI that just en masse. They've they, mm. you know obviously we've had Gollum and there have been plenty of CG characters in the giant wide battle shots and things. Uh, but but whenever there have been like gi- like large collections of, of uh, orcs and uh, and and the goblins of Moria before. Um, when they were climbing down the uh, uh, pillars, obviously they're, they're CG because that's um, too dangerous to do. But when they're around them, those are real people in suits by and large. And uh, then all the Uruks are real guys in suits. And then all the Orcs in uh, uh, Return of the King, real guys in suits. The Orcs who attack them on the Wags, mostly, uh, uh, you know, real, you know, you saw a lot of prosthetics there. But when it cuts to dwarves, your malevolence, and it's got a lot of little guys chittering around the place, that's when you start to go, hang on, this is the first time we're to have really done this. Yeah. And there's a disconnect. Yeah, and there's also <clears throat> a, a weird thing they, they decided to do where, where um, like in the, in the Lord of the Rings, they had you know rubber swords, mm. and in this one, they just had green poles. Yeah. 
they for some reason were CGI in the weapons later. What? Why? Why not have a rubber sword? <laughs> it looks a lot realer, and and they did it even with sometimes with you know there were actual battles between two real people, mm. and they just used it's like you do not you don't use CGI weapons. It just it doesn't look real. Yeah. When uh, Evangeline Lilly got given her um, uh, a present you know, as she was leaving, they gave her her daggers, and she went, "Oh." Oh, these are metal. You actually have them made yeah. in metal. I'm like, you never gave her hero ones in metal? They were always rubber at best? Wow. Well, she I did can, very, can, very well at selling those as actual weapons. I, can, I, I, I don't think that's that surprising because obviously you could eat really Of course, really yeah. No, if, yourself, you, if you're but, actually fighting um, with them close up with another well, person, even, even doing the, the spinny stuff she did with them, that, true, if you do that true. wrong, you can probably Put your eye out. Wrists, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I just I just don't know why they didn't use like more rubber stuff when actually doing the actual fighting. It's quite quite a lot of the stuff, which I no. see was supposed to be further away. It was just like yeah. pole green poles. It's like why do that? Nowhere near as much on location shooting. Nowhere near as yeah. much stuff outside. They, they, it was still there. They still climbed up mountains, um, and they, yeah, I, they, yeah, they did the Shire. But so much of it was in that giant yeah. studio in Wellington. One just a slightly aside to something that was good, if I can, because it's so yeah, yeah, go for it, yeah. Um, I did like when they were in the rock and pillar place uh, up, up a mountain, and mm-hmm. where they're going to the dwarves going to Erebor, and they just said we be hummed the Lord of the Rings soundtrack while we were going yeah. up the mountain. <laughs> That's really yes, you yeah. would, yeah. That was I, I like that just because that does show that they are like invested enough in the, the sort of the mythos to. To get sort of what what they're doing, yeah. But we like Lord of the Rings. We're going to hum it because we're here. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I mean, the, the amount of stuff that was outside for the Rohan scenes, like so yeah. much stuff at the Two Towers, was actually on location. So you know, obviously Moria wasn't. They didn't go to an actual cave. Wouldn't have been safe. But uh, you know, there was a hell of a lot of location stuff for that. Less so with Return of the King, and it showed. And the uh, the palette of Return of the King and Battle of the Five Armies, they start to to draw it to the grayscale, and it it really they become less vibrant as films as a result of it because you know they, they become more depressing. But at the same time, uh, you start to wonder what's being fought for occasionally because everything just becomes so um, numb. But uh, but that does kind of work in Return of the King when you've got so much poignant stuff going on anyway. Yeah, yeah. But when you have something where the the content of import is pretty thinly spread as it is, mm-hmm. um, butter scraped over too much bread, if you will. That was a great um, way of putting it. You did that. Yeah. yeah. The- to to have the the bread then be grey, you kind of what else have you got? Mm. And the first two are so very vibrant and colourful and, and uh, honey-coloured. I think I remember saying in the first one that the uh, the unexpected journey was darker than Fellowship. I, I, I think I get what I was saying, but there's definitely much more richness on screen in the Hobbit trilogy. It's deeper rather than darker. The colours are still there, but they're more um, they're more sort of dual tone than yeah. spring tone, which I think is, is possibly to do with the fact that Bilbo is older than Frodo at that point. And we discussed it before, but Ian McKellen being excluded um, for, you know, from key scenes where he's you know, relating to the dwarves t- to serve the master of 3D so you could have 
um, sweep, you know, sweeping camera movements throughout Bag End and keep constantly moving around Gandalf. And so the illusion would be there because Ian McKellen's in a green screen set and they're just green screening him in. The illusion is not hammered home. He looks like he's being chroma keyed in. And because of his performance, we know that he is being put under immense amounts of pressure because dwarves keep walking through him and he has no ability to stop that happening. Yes, that is my top, top worst thing is 3D. Yeah. Um, if you can't do the perspective trick, trick that worked very well in Lord of the Rings yeah. and you just, you make a, a worse film. You know, it's, you do, obviously, as Ian McKellar said, he acts, he acts to, to the you know, fellow actor. Yeah. If he can't do that, then he doesn't want to do it anymore, which was, that was the saddest saddest thing to just him muttering to himself on set was like one of the saddest things in the the making of a little Um, cry yeah so i'm very glad that the white council stuff was in Mm. just so he actually got to act against some good actors christopher Um, lee's died while we've uh, been in the middle interim since our last podcast hasn't he watching that's a precious moment him being able to be finally yeah watching that um the behind the scenes thing for Battle of the Five Armies hit with him talking about like what, what roles he takes was a bit mm. you know it's like oh that's <laughs> um, but I you know if that's your last film which I assume it was um, that's you know the, he said he liked that you know liked playing Saruman mm. you know good Saruman so Similarly, uh, Andrew Leslie, the uh, the director of photography, absolutely gifted man, shot all the uh, Lord of the Rings uh, films and uh, the Hobbit films, died just after Battle of the Five Armies was released. He wasn't even all that old and vibrant young fellow and wonderful, talented man. Sorely yeah. missed. Um, the only other thing about 3D is they, they again, they did the, the early 3D thing of we must move stuff at the screen to look like it's coming at your eyes so you go uh but then no one does that because it doesn't look realistic enough um like they did that with some of the uh, bats in goblin town and arrows and things it just it it's not it doesn't work when it's flat um it doesn't work when it's 3d and it just looks like you're just playing to the 3d and it, it's just i just wish they'd you know, he used proper cameras. <laughs> One of the scenes at the end when Gandalf's uh, trying to fill his pipe awkwardly and, and Bilbo's just sitting there completely blasted, I mentioned last year, and they couldn't have been sat together because of Phil's yeah. perspective. They were sat together. They put Ian McKellen on a box. Yes, it's, they could have done that. They so could much. have put Ian McKellen on a box <laughs> yeah. time and time again, but they had to. It, they paid for that massive double rig to get the green screen version of it done. Um, and they had all the shots planned out and it was going to be sweeping around the place and it, it didn't work. But because they'd paid for it, they'd set it all up, they pushed through with it, they made it work in 3D and they forced it to work. And they didn't think, well, let's just go back and shoot it with Ian there and see if that takes actually better. But put him on a box this time. Because, I mean, the, the whole argument is, well, he wouldn't be entirely in scale. He's not, he's not just taller. He has, diff, you know, differently shaped fingers. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, a dwarf's fingers are considerably thicker. So all they had to do was just make sure that those big, fat dwarf fingers were showing so that it, they would look like, you know, broader fellows yeah. and uh, just keep Bilbo's hands uh, under the table. Well, the fact in, um, well, the Lord of the Rings, like John Rhys Davis is massive. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a few times where the perspective doesn't quite work, um, but 
for like the majority of the film, he looks like a dwarf against yeah. you know uh, Legolas and, and Aragorn and the rest. So, you know, if you can do it for the majority of the film, yeah. I know it might be slightly different in this film because the majority of actors are supposed to be dwarves, but mm. you know, it's just it, even if it looks a bit bad sometimes, the fact that they are there just adds so much to the performance. And I miss bigatures. I know, it, obviously, yeah, technically yes, speaking, yeah. they couldn't have them anymore because of the 3D, because of the HD, because of the close-ups, blah, blah, blah. blah. I, I think you could do I mean, I, I, the HD argument I don't think is true because, you know, there, there are you know there are miniatures you can make. You can make miniatures well enough for mm. them to look perfectly fine in HD. You just need to have that extra care. Yeah. And judging by what they did in some things, I mean, they, they, they built a miniature set of Lake Town and painted it up all really nicely. Yeah, for no reason they have like the skill and the desire to make it that good so mm. just yeah they just like it's easier to do it with 3d uh, with cgi yeah but you lose and you know in like five years the lord of the rings bigotures will look a lot better than the the hobbit cgi yeah um even the stuff that actually does look quite good at the moment um because i mean smaug looks fantastic as a cgi thing yeah. but he's not going to last forever too many times when the camera goes blasting through a place and it's like, look what we can do with our computers. And it's, yeah. it's quite obnoxious, which yeah, is a damn shame because, again, Weta Digital are, are masters across the world. They didn't need to do that. Yeah, I'd, I'd have rather had like a, you know, a, a real lake town, real miniature lake town they set on fire than a <laughs> CGI one that they use CGI fire. The CGI fire looks really nice, but it just doesn't look like fire. You know, it doesn't look enough. For, it doesn't look real enough yet to... Uh, to make up for having something that's actually there. Oh, something occurred to me while we were watching um, uh, yesterday. Uh, <clears throat> Dragonfire can consume the one. Well, can can consume magic rings. Uh, I think uh, Professor Tolkien pointed. Well, you know, the, the you know the oldest dragons had died long ago, and blah 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 blah, and couldn't possibly have burnt this one ring. It can only be burnt in Mount Doom, but. Let's just go ahead and assume that if if uh, Smaug had incinerated Bilbo, he may also have inadvertently destroyed the One Ring, if he'd gotten it hot enough and not known, um, or he could have eaten Bilbo and then, uh, by extension, born and worn the One Ring on the inside, <laughs> and gone. Oh, oh, you came with special prizes. Yeah. But he, that could, I, I mean, I, I think that, that wouldn't solve like sort of the Sauron problem necessarily because it could be like a, a the, the fact that. It's his Horcrux. Well, yeah, but there could be, there could be a magical link to where he created it. The fact he used the power of the volcano theoretically, or at least he, he did the smelting of it in the volcano. Maybe so. Um, could, because I mean, it's not even just like, you know. So we just need to throw it in a volcano. We need to throw it in that specific volcano. Yeah. Um, Having so- said that, um, about Gandalf knowing about the ring when he sat there with his pipe could have gone, Bilbo, do you mind if I uh, take a look at that ring? No, 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 don't, don't give it to me. Don't give it to me. Just may I uh, see it? Yes, I think we'd better be sure on this one. Call in an eagle. They're just <laughs> circling around the place. Okay, we're going to fly to Mount Doom. See, it's going to take a little while. This was actually, by the way, on um, how it should have ended. And, uh, you know, just, just, just to be on the safe side, we're going to throw this into the mountain. And, uh, and uh, oh, 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 look. Oh, we ended the Dark Lord before he began, preventing thousands upon millions of unnecessary deaths. 
Okay, then. <laughs> I mean, yeah. He thought it was a lesser ring. Yeah. But at the same time, he's got an eagle right there. <laughs> you know, and they're actually not all that far from Mount Doom. No. Um, yeah, we could say that for quite a lot of stuff. Yeah. Woulda, um, woulda, shoulda, coulda. Yeah, that's that's very difficult when you're just then erasing the Lord of the Rings from history. But. Yeah. <laughs> Only the Hobbit happened. Yeah. And also, but, there's a there's a slight um, future crimes aspect to that, which I, you know, I'm not like, oh no, it could just be a, mag- a normal magic ring. Just don't worry about it. But oh, just because it could be the one ring, just like any other ring, could just be the one ring. Might as well take care of it now and yeah. save all these theoretically millions of people that would have died but didn't and you know. <laughs> but it's when Saruman says he is not complete without the one ring at Dol Gulder at that point Gandalf should have gone one ring where have I seen one ring recently well I said there's, there's no logical connection between <laughs> the ring that went into the Anduin and getting it to one Gollum. of them you know, one yeah, of the yeah he didn't know about Gollum at that point yeah. he had to go and uh, interrogate some other uh, I mean, as soon as he finds out about Gollum, it's basically, oh, that could be that ring then. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, actually, All of a what sudden, we, the pieces fall into place. Yeah. What we miss, actually, is the hunting of Gollum, where he and uh, Aragorn, um, just before Fellowship, go go find Gollum, and uh, and basically, through, through cross-examination, work out how he came by the ring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I still haven't got to my number one yet, but uh, my number one is um, three films rather than two, leading to diminished focus. I think if they just set themselves, we've got to just do this in two. Three films is too much. It is an it is it is an indulgence, and um, they could have filled that third one with enough to really warrant it, but they did not. Yeah, and um, yeah, so I was thinking, like watching the author again, like what is there enough to cut out to just fit into two films? Oh, yeah, there is. And there is, right. yeah. The, um, um, I, the, the King Under the Mountain starts um, with uh, the uh, the dwarves meeting Bard. So it's like, here is Lake Town. And it ends as Bilbo goes home. So all of the Lake Town stuff. The the Smaug thing takes place one hour into it. With uh, it's, it's the first big major set piece. It really works. Yes, I, I but... Um, you said doing doing that loses out all the white or the more the extended white it, council stuff. It does unfortunately mean um, that that would have to have been left. I think that would, you know, that's definitely that that is a sort of like the perfect inclusion of an extended edition. Yeah, to have the book, which is then shown uh, theatrically, yeah. and then you have all the extra stuff that the Tolkien fans want. Yeah, sort of white council stuff. You then give them as the extended, and it doesn't. Obviously, you can even you can tease it with the council, the white council in uh, unexpected, exactly as it yeah, is. Yeah. But then when Gandalf disappears, you're like, oh, "What happens with Gandalf? I guess you're going to have to go find out with the extended edition." But the, you know, yeah. basically, they would have to admit, "Look, if we if we included this stuff, the films would be very very long." But ultimately, it is not massively important uh, because you ultimately you know the end of this one. It's Saruman, but fans would like to maybe know. Yeah, they yeah they could have said that this is just like this is the book, and then we wanted and then we wanted to add more stuff from the appendices, yeah. and 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 so that being extended, and and it didn't have to be quite as elaborate as it actually was, but yeah, that you're absolutely right. That would have been a fantastic extent. That would have been a treat in the yeah, extended that, form. Yeah, that would have been fantastic. Yeah, because as it is, I mean, people only the super fans are picking up the extended edition. You know, Tony and Liz, 
haven't haven't uh, to date even seen the second and third films, the theatrical versions yet. Now they 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 had their twins um, around about uh, the time when um, was it three years ago? Yeah, so it was when Unexpected came out. So I think they somehow managed to go and see that, but then they declined to go and see films two and three. And they are they, as I recall, big fans of the Lord of the Rings. If that can't get them to go see film two, they messed. They Weta messed up somewhere when it came to the to the release, and the fact that it, it, that um, Five Armies came and went to little or no fanfare. It made a billion, but most of what I read about it was people complaining about it in retrospect and, and saying, "Look, why did this have to happen? Look at this, Peter Jackson. Here is what he did." And that's a terrible legacy to have to have your third film lead to. Again, I don't think they would do three if they could choose now. Again, course, though, I think it's, what I think what is a little bit unfair um, is because these guys are also front and centre because of the um, the extra material that they always do. Mm. That's where the fingers get pointed. I honestly don't think I don't hold Weta responsible for for much of what did not go right with this. Mm. Um, I don't even hold Peter Jackson for that much, although he's going to have to hold his hands up to a few bits and pieces. Um, But generally speaking, they were so up against the wall in terms of time, in terms of what they were uh, given the capacity to do. In fact, in terms of the fact that they they started this hitting the ground running and then they were not allowed off the conveyor belt until they got to the end. Yeah. And, And it's... It, it comes through so uh, fractionally in the extra material. It took somebody taking all the negative elements of it and assembling it into one six-minute video mm-hmm. for it for it to kind of hit home how frustrated they must have been by the fact that they weren't able to do what they wanted. Yeah. Um, that that ultimately they did have an overarching plan in mind, but that plan never quite had the breathing space to come together and that they were forced into this corner of basically having a three-part film with some gaping holes in it that they basically had to fill by cramming as much cgi into it as they could Mm. and they had three studios snapping at their heels you got warner brothers you got mgm and you got uh new line a division of, of mgm all basically uh you know demanding their piece of the pie you've got the tolkien estate being truculent with them and specifically when it comes to the writing stage and that's very important you're fran and pippa and you get told you may not mention the blue wizards you may not mention anything from the silmarillion you may not confirm that the Arkenstone is in fact a Silmaril or something. That was one of your theories, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. You may not deal with the hunting of uh, Gollum. You may not deal with this, 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 and this. And from now on, we are never allowing anybody to do anything on screen apart from video games. For some reason, video games get a free ride with the Tolkien estate. Possibly so, they haven't noticed they exist. They, they might not know what they are. They've got an like, accountant somewhere signing things for them going, no, 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 I'll take care of this one. You, you're never going to know about it. You will never know about it you don't care show, no, show us these video games they show them the uh, the specky version of the hobbit <laughs> oh, that, that, that's fine yeah you can do that yeah, um, yeah and um, games workshop seemed to get away with quite a bit because they they did a whole mm. hobbit line which was barlin going into moria yeah. it's like well that's not anywhere so um but yeah i, I agree with, with sharon about the it looks worse because they were so upfront about all the problems because mm. um, yeah there's what quite a lot of the times 
Peter Jackson says we were making it up as we went along. Now, other directors would not say that. <laughs> um, they would say, "Oh, it's all it was all this is all going to plan. We, we this is what we want to do," and they wouldn't Tell show the, the line. Yeah. yeah, they wouldn't show the the stuff that is just him desperately trying to make something that works in no time whatsoever. Mm. Um, and yeah, it is all because of the pre-production. If because I had. I think they said three and a half years on Lord of the Rings and I think they said a few months for The Hobbit. And, and that was all during negotiations when they were still trying to work out among the studios who gets what slice yeah. of what pie. Yeah, and um, so in some ways um, I think the the filming of the, the films it was, was saved by Peter Jackson having mm. the illness. Whatever it was. Yeah. I can't actually remember what it was he lo- at the he, beginning. He gained a huge amount of weight. He was thin when he started and then he ended up podgy um, and grey haired. I actually think those those shots of him at the beginning, he looked really ill. Mm, mm. And he looked really stressed and too thin. I think he, you know, I don't know if that was causing the illness, but or result of he'd the been illness. Ill, he'd been thin for several years, actually, dating back from like after King Kong. Um, but yeah, he'd uh, he'd kind of he, lost weight and looked less cheerful. It's sort of in, as... I was going to say in, interspersed between him, like then and him talking about it afterwards. He looks a lot happier afterwards. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and more relaxed, uh, and you know, just having that like extra six months while he was ill, it's like actually they could actually, you know, they actually had time then to actually do stuff because yeah. they did not have any time to do anything. This all dates back, by the way, to the fact that Saul Zantz had the right to the Hobbit, and that's pretty much it, basically. The, the bickering because of the Saul Zantz companies uh, selling that to MGM, or blah 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 blah. Uh, and so the it's, it's like MGM had the right to make it, but not distribute it, and. Um, Warner Brothers had the right to distribute it but not make it. And for some... <laughs> I hate that shit. And New Line had the right to look at it but not make it or distribute it. We have manifest exemplary material here suggesting that that kills art. That is the enemy of art. So anyway, um, let's go for the ten best things. And by the way, this is just my 10 best things. Add as many as you want, folks. Uh, number 10, Azog. I, I thought that even though the, he didn't really get characterized, he was a, uh, a formidable presence, especially in the first one, a malevolent, stalking beast man with these like terrifying dead, but, you know, dead but aggressive eyes. Um, Azog was a, a triumph, and had he been given uh, like Gollum-like levels of actual complexity to his character, you know he would be. We would be talking about him now as one of the absolute best things. But obviously, um, they had to pretty much just go with what they had, as opposed to uh, Tolkien's writing book after book with uh, Gollum being a major character. And also, Sharon said they they watered him down by adding all these new, yeah, all these iterations of, of him. And yeah. uh, the lower dwarf, so it's yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he first like again for a CGI character, he's very good, yeah, because you don't really need. He is just a brooding evil presence. He doesn't really need to do mm. much and look rubbery. He just needs to hit people. Gollum um, isn't even on my list of ten, by the way. He, um, uh, he's he's fan bloody tastic in this. He's better than Azog, but I'm I'm specifically trying to find new things that the Hobbit trilogy did that the Lord of the Rings trilogy did not yet do. So uh, things that were introduced. So uh, that's how I've kind of um, focused uh, fact, on that. That Gollum, how he looks, or in actually in the 
Both. He's, 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 uh, I love uh, Andy Serkis's performance as Gollum. It feels fresh and authentic. And at the same time, it feels right for the, the era that Gollum was at at that point. There's an innocence about him. It's, um, one of, I think, the best, the, my favorite bit of the whole films is the riddles in the dark scene. Yes. Um, which is the first thing they shot, the first thing oh, Martin Freeman that's did. another one, precious. <laughs> um, and. <laughs> Just yeah, the the play between Gollum and Smeagol then is yeah. sort of even more pronounced than it was in Lord of the Rings, and it's just and the fact that he came, he came back to you know after that not doing Gollum, he just just mm. slipped right into the character, and that's it, it that you know that is a uh, Lord of the Rings level of quality, and yeah, it is basically perfect. It's yeah, a that's perfect a, scene. Absolute confidence to that, and two incredible actors as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in all seriousness, Gollum probably should edge out Azog, but ultimately I'm still going with it. They are, they were, they brought back something that worked fantastically before and my God, he still works fantastically. Um, at number nine for me, music and songs, he never ever reaches the, uh, the the level of variety, complexity, uh, or soaring emotions as uh, Lord of the Rings, but Howard Shaw's. Uh, scores for for the three films are fan bloody tastic, and uh, the only reason that they're not better than, you know, they're, they're better than most other scores from that year uh, for each one of them. But uh, they're just, you know, it's it's not quite at the uh, the level of Lord of the Rings. Yes, and, the problem, problem is they obviously the first film is all sort of reprises of what they've done before. Yeah, um, but, kind of a mega mix. Yes, this is like the, the sort of redeeming feature for three films for me is you get more good Howard Shaw music. Yeah, um, uh, and yeah, it's yeah, the, especially for me the the uh, the Mirkwood Wood Elves music. I just I love that. Oh yeah, um, yeah. that is the. It's yeah, kind of uh, a, a, the other side of the Lothlorien thing. Yeah, it's it's good. Yeah, that they they sort of went into a bit of how they, you know, they sort of try to do. Obviously, they're both Wood Elves, but Lothlorien is very different to. Um, I mean, they're both very insular, but um, Mirkwood is even more insular than Lothlorien is when. Uh, yeah. They're very awkward about getting past the borders, but um, but yeah, it's, and the fact that um, he just like right, he wrote all the main themes before the stuff was shot, just shows that he has complete understanding of the characters of Middle Earth. Yeah, that he can just like, oh, okay, yeah, Mercury Elves, yeah, right, that that's that's exactly it. It's basically the Lake Town theme's fantastic. Yeah. The Smaug theme's fantastic. Yeah, the, the Smaug theme, especially the the. Um, I should write down what they're called. The um the weird mm-hmm. uh music. The weird music? Uh the um the sort of the, the uh bell type Oh the that bad name. But start with a G. <laughs> yeah. If you think about it, it's actually uh, one of the the toughest things that these films have to um, to deal with is what they're being compared to. Yeah. They're basically in comparison with some of the best hands-down films ever made of all time, particularly mm. in our opinion. Which will remain um, so. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, think about what what's going on with Star Wars at the moment. Basically, all that has to do is, <laughs> is be, be better, better than three than the of the prequel. worst sci-fi. I mean, that. Yeah, you know, I'm going to say three of the worst sci-fi films of all time. Sci fantasy, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think it's the gamelan uh, Indonesian instruments, uh, which yeah. is all sort of the metal, clinky stuff. Which just it just because it's so 
it's completely different for anything they've had before. Mm. And as they've never had a dragon before, it's you know perfect. It just fits perfectly. Um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it's I, I'm sad that it looks like they're probably not going to do um, complete recordings for them. Yeah, um, there was sort of like rumours, but then um, it I doesn't just... feel like there's that much cut out of the versions we got. Well, though. It's not like the uh, the it, theatrical versions on there. There isn't, but I, I like the flow between um, bits. Yeah, the natural. Yeah, yeah, because um, there's, there's quite a lot around um, uh, in Two Towers on the the um, Helm's Deep stuff. There's just like yeah. You, yeah, how they got to like one bit of music to the next bit of music. When if you're watching it, it feels like oh, it's just talking. There's not music. But there is like a whole flow that goes through yeah. it, and it's just those are actually some of my favourite bits. Just the sort of the bridging uh, between the, the the main themes that you do remember. Because yeah. um, like, and I would I would like an extended version of the Mirkwood Wood Elves. Because the Lothlorien music is 15 minutes long, and I listen to it constantly. <laughs> um, so I need to take regular rests to manage your symptoms, and that's just 15 minutes. Lie down, completely relax, and then just like like ah, oh. and no no other music does that really, um, except for to an extent the Mirkwood stuff. But um, again, there's a bit of a there's a bit of a hard gap between some of it, and it's um, yeah, it's just it's, but the music itself is so good. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that there were. If there wasn't a complete recording, I'm so glad they have. That they had those special edition with the extended uh, tracks. Because uh, again, the the White Council scene from Rivendell, just like that, is is beautiful yeah. as well. So you get Florian stuff in, so I'm happy. <laughs> and the songs as well. The uh, the the Lonely Mountain song, as sung by the dwarves, is hypnotic. It's yeah, a that series high yeah. moment for me. Uh, you said the other day, Sharon, that. Um, Richard Armitage has a voice Don't that can make repeat. women. <laughs> I was gonna say you could, his voice could make every woman in the room pregnant, um, <laughs> but it's true, and I think we can prove it in tests. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, the, the the power of that song and, and the, the way that's delivered—that's the, the thrust of the initial. Um, you know, step out the door. It, it's telling that um, the in my version of an unexpected journey, I don't make a single cut until they uh, get to um, Radagast. Basically, that that whole first section works without any uh, edits. As far as I'm concerned, obviously, a lot of other people beg to differ. There are people that I don't really don't like the uh, the beginning with old Bilbo and why would yeah like I can't yeah I can't see why you would not immediately want more Ian Holm. As Bilbo, um, I see fire as well. I know you hate the clap machine, um, Chris, yeah, but yes. that might be my second favourite song in the entire um, uh, saga. Now, the Hobbiton. Actually, I mean, from when Dwalin opens the door to them going is is again another, for me another perfect scene. It's yeah. It's yeah. The song is the you know by far the best version of that I've ever heard because the one in the animated probably was awful. We um, must I mean, away break of day. But yeah, I've, I've also heard there's, there's a version I heard which is more far more upbeat, which doesn't really go. But and uh, it, all those sort of like the um. We must away a break of day. Yeah, see like that. the pale enchanted gold. We're painting the roses red. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
and just all of that, just like sort of the, the the interplay between all the dwarves, especially like Dwarlin and Barlin at the, at the beginning, you sort of like they are obviously brothers that have not seen each other for a while. So and I just like the the scene of the cheese is it's like oh it's what's that oh it's cheese it's gone blue well, it's gone blue throw that away mold. yeah it's like that stint brother I just I, that's just it's sort of it's so small but it's like that is you know that's exactly in keeping with you know dwarves and hobbits um, a lot uh, of cheese there do you, do you want a cheese knife cheese <laughs> knife he eats it by the block <laughs> considering not, I, how dwarves make bread I think they've got a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a nerve frankly. You might be confusing that with Pratchett's dwarves, that you're doing dwarf bread here, the kind that could be used as a murder weapon. Have you seen what Thorin is eating in the pub in Brie? Well, that's, that's Brie bread. <laughs> they eat naught but carrots in Brie. <laughs> oh, that's so... I, I I love that he reprised Caravan. Because yeah. Bar- Basket Man was so bad. I'm yeah. so glad that Fran said, no, you're not doing that. That's... T- oh, yeah, he sucks. So, they got Stephen Colbert in for that scene, yeah. that, with uh, uh, dressed as well, a yeah, beggar. He's, um, yeah, he's one of the spies, yeah. and uh, his wife and children. That That's, again, you know, it's always good to have people fanatically obsessed with Lord of the Rings like he and... Uh, yeah. And, it was uh, also uh, great to see Billy Jackson was actually in the uh, as an mm. extra in, in the Battle of the Five Armies. Uh, watch out for the gut kid with the woolen, gr- orange woolen yeah, cap. Yeah. yeah, even if you didn't know that he yeah. was like someone like someone involved with the crew, it's like oh, he's got a very distinctive hat, so he must mm. be someone. Oh, speaking of extras that stick out like a sore thumb, look out for Rope Man as well. Did you see that guy on the uh, the extras? Oh, yes, it's a it's a guy shot. who gets himself in every <laughs> shot. Uh, as soon as the the Lake Town's been destroyed, like most all every time they're on the shore, he's in every shot. He's moving around the place. He wants to always be there. And Peter Jackson was like, mm, he's not, <laughs> and he was like gritting his teeth. And like, I could tell the moment the camera was off, like, no fucker, ruining it. Ruining much? Can we digitally paint him out? Can we put maybe Orlando Bloom in front of him? <laughs> well, we've done it with everyone else. Why not? But yeah, that would drive me nuts as an editor. I'd be like, no, because this guy's drawing attention to himself. As an extra, you're supposed to be like there to add flavour. Don't be invisible, but don't be the thing people's eyes are drawn to. He's even at the point where they're going. Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> During the uh, the the funeral, he's standing on the left. Um, Still there. So with is, his is, does Peter Jackson do a cameo in the third film? So I didn't notice it. Um, it's only really the second one. It's very obvious. The first one, first one, he's that running dwarf. Yeah. Second one, he's uh, he's uh, carrot the carrot man. Third one, I think because he was gonna be because it was gonna be two films, he doesn't cameo as anyone. Yeah. Anything? Um, yeah. That breaks the chain. Yes, he might be somewhere in the back. The only the only person I could think of him being is that one of Dane's dwarfs. That the the, the one non CGI dwarf. But he uh, shouts the one who goes. Yeah. Nick Fury! Yeah. It's definitely not Peter Jackson, okay. but know who that was. But yeah, um, my, my cut of it, by the way, um, it's sort of you see that there is a dwarf riding out front on a pig. But then it cuts to that dwarf shouting, and it looks like <laughs> the one on the pig has shouted, Charge! And then they go in and attack. I mean, what did you think of the extended battle? Because actually it's a different version where they've got the twiddly-whiddly machines, because being an well, archery fan. It, we invented something that they should have had in the Middle Ages. Don't know if it would work, is the problem. Probably not. I was going to ask you about the logistics of that, um, actually. Also, well, that, the dwarves know about gunpowder, because they're using it during that smog sequence in the Desolation, so why don't they use that in battle? Um... 
Well, yeah, it, well, that's very, I mean, the very early gunpowder weapons are, I mean, they, they, I think they started with grenades um, <laughs> and then moved onwards because they were, you know, grenade. Uh, the only reason gunpowder won out over bows is that it's much easier to shoot a gun than shoot a bow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that that dwarven weapon hinges on everyone shooting arrows at the same time. Yeah. If you just wait for them to go, then you just can kill them. And then fire one arrow at the guy who's yeah. standing also, behind yeah. him. <laughs> You've got to judge their angle perfectly. Yeah. You get it wrong, and then the, it goes underneath, and the arrows go over the top. And it's like, um, shields! <laughs> yeah. But I, I, did li- I did like that. They actually added in the fighting between the elves and the dwarves, which is in the book. Yeah. Because yeah. um, in the in the theatrical, it's like, oh yes, they just about don't kill each other, but then, then the they kill quite a lot. Yeah. Oh, um, something that um, uh, uh, everything wrong with pointed out. I hate citing these guys, but they're right. <laughs> How did the Azog convince the weirworms to help? What do you tell a weirworm for its motivation? <laughs> yeah, it gets you get to eat a lot of earth. <laughs> I could eat all the earth I want. It's made of earth. It's yeah. middle earth. Really? Well, uh, yeah, who wins this one? The earth is still going to be there. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that talking about things that's in video, you know, video game. Um, you said uh, they were in the yeah, uh, they were in Battles of Middle Earth. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I, I mean, you, it's theoretically possible that they have been tainted by evil, and then that that means you can. I want to them. see Shane Ranji <laughs> riding a weirworm um, and going ah. But yeah, the extended. I did. I mean, I just like that the the elves actually use their bows, which yeah. they did not at all in the theatrical. They got all these archers and they did nothing with them. Yeah. So it's like silly. Yeah. So yeah, somewhat so again, again like the sort of the second and third extended and, and the Return of the King extended. There are good. There are bits that I like and there are bits that I hate. Yeah. Um. So unfortunately, they they haven't made a. A perfect version of it. Yeah, so, so, I mean the, yeah. the Fellowship Two Towers and the Unexpected Journey to an extent is is you know all the. Mm. Stuff I like added the, is good. The, the the extended Desolation is also much better than the uh, the theatrical one. I think. Yeah. All, although it does also well, have the Thrain stuff, which. Um, yeah. And the bollocks. And the bollocks. <laughs> Don't wave your bollocks in my face. Okay, uh, my, my, my number eight is costumes and armor. Now, technically, they did costumes and armor before. This is nothing new, but at the same time, they did so many new costumes, so many, so rich new dwarven um, armor, and 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 the you know, the the, the many the, the many cultures of Lake Town all coming together, and the fact that they managed to make the um, uh, the, the woodland realm uh, elves look considerably different from the previous elves we'd had, um, you know fantastic work again um, from from Weta Workshop at their absolute best again yeah it's definitely a, it's, it's attention to detail which um, mm. sort of exemplifies their love of filmmaking and, and just all filmmaking in the middle earth as they they will they will get things right you know if, yeah. even if I mean, CGI aside if there is if there is going to be a costume they will so I mean yeah. they said that, that in like the for the Bilbo's bed they hand sewed the cover, which you do not see at all. You know, yeah. there was a very small shot of him lying against the cover, you know, sort of the morning after, but you don't see that it's, you know, hand sewed or machine sewed. But they sort of thought this is how you have to do it to to get that sort of quality mm. in. So, you know, it's just that that, you know, d- despite what the, what the films have, you know, how the films have come out, just that, you know, you, it, everything or 
again, apart from the CG, everything else they're doing. Well, know, yeah, just, once the figures stand still and they're actually yeah. actors in costume, they look exquisite. Yeah, they've just done, they have done so much work to make it the best they can with the, again, the, the time they have is some majority of the, the CGI problems with the film is they just didn't have time to do it properly. Mm. Um, so they picked where they, they had to do it properly and just, and they had to do CGI for the rest. But yeah, it's just the, the amount of stuff they did. And, and uh, I did, I do like with them, um, uh, where they, they said that they sort of gave the, uh, uh, the sort of the pre-production stuff, the small pre-production stuff they did or the, the early stuff they did. They just allowed like the, um, uh, the concept art people to to do what they wanted. They 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 wanted to you know just like go wild, do whatever you like within these like few constraints, and then we will just pick what we liked or you know pick bits of what we liked. And I think that that really adds to the the uniqueness of the different um, areas, just because that you know that there's going to be someone that has like the perfect idea or the perfect few bits of the idea mm. that fits with someone else and. I think, judging by what they say, that said that that's not you know not not common in the film industry. The dark um, side of that is, of course, that overdone troll with his stupid legs and uh, yeah. you know, hooks in his um, eyes. That's when they, yeah, just like just throwing enough shit at a wall and hoping that it yeah. all sticks at once. It becomes again, a think, mess. Yeah, I think that's again they didn't have enough time to sort of pare it down to something that was actually good. Yeah, <laughs> they just had to like do what what that was the idea. We have to go with that because we don't have enough time to to you know spend a few more days just going over different designs i do still like the uh troll juggernauts but i uh, it sort of it totters over spins around and falls on its back like a freaking cartoon wouldn't it have been more scary had he just barged through the wall and carried on going and basically been you know running around the city smashing down more stuff it would have been expensive but the the idea that basically he's there to cause chaos that would have been terrifying it'd be like a, a, a battle ram tank they could have just had it. He runs in, hits his head, and then just falls flat rather than does the spin. spinning around. Yeah, it's yeah. killed in the knee again. Um, number seven for me, the White Council. Now, although obviously these are returning actors, um, the fact that they brought them back and they did such a fantastic job with the few lines they had each, um, again, sold the links between the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. Now, if I was going to direct I, I love your idea by the way Chris I love the idea of the the uh, the White Council and the Dull Goldor stuff being for the extended edition and if they'd basically pitch that as like you know this is stuff that um, this is, ju- is is for the fans in the extended edition don't feel like you're getting shortchanged or you're not getting the full movie you are getting the full Hobbit experience but um, if you get the extended editions and you're prepared to, to, to watch the lengthier films which we wouldn't uh, um uh, expect major cinema audiences to fit through be honest people can't sit through really really long films then you get uh, the the full experience but by that point everyone knew that the extended editions were the definitive versions but they weren't going to miss them in the cinema except for the people who did so ultimately the idea that oh we don't want to we don't want to say we'll hold back on this stuff in case people don't go people didn't go tony and liz didn't go they did not score some of their, you know, greatest fans back, and that's a damn shame. Yeah. But the White Council stuff was all lovely to watch. Yeah, and definitely for the for the big fans that care about the extended editions, they're gonna they, they are they you know mm. if if they can, they will definitely watch it in the cinema and watch the multiple times like I did, just because yeah. I want to see it on a massive screen. 
I want that to be the first experience to, to you know despite what is added afterwards um, I just bought Fellowship of the Ring extended edition on Blu-ray again just to get the steel book it was on sale <laughs> they don't even they haven't even released Two Towers or Return of the King that's how crazy I am for this series <laughs> Um, but yeah, the White Castle stuff. I I just I love the the tie-in with you know Lord of the Rings, and it's completely not needed in the Hobbit story. But mm. because they wanted to add more depth to the to what's happening in Middle Earth, you know, you have to add it in, and it's you know, good. And and again, like the the White Council scene in uh, Unexpected Journey, that the fact they sort of workshopped that quite a lot of what they were going to say gave you know the, gives the actor yeah. something to something you know they. Gift it, they can actually show their craft and their their quality, yeah. um, and it's it's good to have more Christopher Lee when he got cruelly cut out of the theatrical edition of the third film. Indeed, true. But poor Anthony Share, people wouldn't even have been aware that Thrain was a character. Yeah. You know, if he comes along and says to people, "I played Thrain," and they're like, "Who was Thrain?" Oh, I was yeah. dad. I might have seen you at the beginning of Unexpected. That was not actually me. Yeah. <sighs> Well, that that is the problem. Like people, I mean, yeah, I think you'd have to definitely have the Rivendell scene in just to, so it's not just Kate Blanchett and, and Christopher Lee coming back, just to be shown in the extended. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that was a wonderful scene anyway, yeah. and uh, I, I don't know. It would have been a risk, but at the same time, you can't really. I, I found myself you can't really just trim that down that stuff down to the bare minimum and still stick it in. But at the same time, you've got Ian McKellen there as Gandalf again. Use him. Give him something, you know, real to do. Um, the, 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 the sixth for me is the beautiful realization of dwarvish culture. And this goes beyond costumes and armor. Basically, this is the first film that really goes into the, the idea that, that, that of the dwarves as a people. And I think it'll be a, a while, and basically until Warcraft comes, uh, you know, goes. If if Warcraft one is successful, and they explore a couple of new different cultures every iterative uh, sequel, they could come back to dwarves. But I think they'll wait a while to get to wait for the the Hobbit to sort of fade a little bit from people because these these films have got a lot of negative feeling. But um, the the, the the little hints that we got from the Dwarrow Delph in uh, Fellowship of the Ring, just to have that expanded upon and to really see a dwarf city at, at its height and then fallen and being defended, it, it was glorious and unique to this film series. Yep. He, he actually got to see non-fighting dwarves Mm. Uh, in the beginning, and couple know, of dwarf actually, women, yeah, yeah. So they're not they're not as bearded as Gimli says in yeah. Two Towers, but you know they've got kind of kinky, um, wispy, little kind of sideburny beards, goat beards, but um, yeah. Uh, and then you also get to see, you know, at, you know the the normal dwarf foot soldier who is just a tank, basically. Um, yeah, which you know before that we've just seen Gimli jump, you know, being yeah. being Gimli. You don't know if that's you know necessarily a a normal for a dwarf or not, but well, it's mm. it's but it's not necessarily because um all the obviously all the other dwarves mm. uh, in the company are not are not like him particularly, um, except for a couple. But I do wonder what would have happened had Professor Tolkien lived some you know ten more years and actually put time and effort into writing an orc story, because mm. how would he have actually? 
like really shed light on that culture and actually started to get think maybe they weren't all 100% wholly black and bad. And we've already gone into this before and it's up to Warcraft to, um, to, to go further with that. But uh, because he's given elves and dwarves and men and hobbits as much um, book time as they ever really needed. Yeah, it would, would have been very interesting to see what, what he'd come up with. Um Actually, actually hang on that's not true in terms of dwarves for book time he uh, i think a lot of the, the dwarf stuff was in silmarillion and the uh, the ex- extended notes and things yeah. that the dwarf culture does not get explored anywhere near as much in the hobbit book no. as it does in the films um yeah 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 the the hobbits the dwarves are just characters they're not really dwarves um yeah he hadn't realized it fully yet no, yeah, that's that's the problem. Come, you know, being the first thing he did, um, only some of the, um, I mean, the, the elves are not in the, the the Hobbit. The elves are not really like they are in Lord of the Rings because um, they have horrible songs that they they sing. <laughs> um, what funny little things! Yeah, no, hang on, that's um, uh, the pine trees. Oh, where are you going? Please, yeah. Mr. Um, Baggins. And the fact that you know. For, uh, the woodland realm is not characterized in any way he's just the elven king yeah have a name and the only thing you know is that he likes wine two people uh, uh one of the, the the jailer and the 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 bottler likes you know get drunk on wine and that's it <laughs> yeah speaking of which number five thranduil and uh, by extension, Tariel. I, I loved Evangeline Lilly in this film series. And Lee Pace as Thranduil has really grown on me over time. His, uh, he was the one doing all the sort of the Shakespearean stuff with... I, I would have loved to see him doing more stuff with Thorin. The uh, mind out of the gutter, Sharon. Um, <laughs> the, no, just the, the whole, you know, do not speak to me of dragon fire. That just the the intensity of those two uh, going at each other was fantastic, and he could have ended up just this annoying ponce. But there's a, a you know, the, and the fact that basically he wants to shut up shop, and and uh, that you know we will endure in this woodland realm and screw the rest of the world. That's a great character, and they did extremely well at, at um, uh, making him ha- follow up on that. Yeah, that 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 um, the Dragonfire line just like gives him so much backstory in just one line of dialogue. Yeah, because um, obviously there's the face mutilation of from a dragon that happened at some point in the past. But you know, yeah. so it's it's that funny. That one line is more more in depth than the entire Hobbit book. Yeah, for him because you know he's just an Elven king. That's that's it. But now he's an Elven king that had a fight with a dragon at some point and had his face burnt. He wasn't even named in the Hobbit. He was just yeah, the elf. Yeah, um, and then sort of like on the opposite side, um, the bit about Legolas's mother gives no characteriz- characterization whatsoever and is not yeah. needed in any way. <laughs> yeah, um, that that could really have been. It could have been explored just to 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 bring them out, but it almost seemed like they were trying to characterize Legolas via Thranduil rather than the other way around. And um, they 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 failed to really characterize Legolas. He has one or two like when he's talking about her at Gundabad, Gundabad, um, he's he's not too bad. But then we're immediately fo- following that with a giant green screen CGI mess of of uh, of grey orcs charging out of a door. 
Yeah, and all the yeah. bats. The bats. Hey. Um, but yeah, no, and, and Evangeline Lilly as, as Terry was, was fantastically um, mm. balanced as a, you know, I would have loved to have seen her character in it more. And if you remember, you know, back when we did. Um, unexpected journey we still didn't even really know about taria we knew she was in like a lego kit and that there was an action figure of her maybe we didn't realize how important she was going to end up being yeah, we just you know i said there is a uh elf, elf female in there i wonder if she'll get stuff to do yeah she's basically what i think what they were going for with Arwen in two towers but actually yeah. you know actually fits in where arwin wouldn't have um and it just wasn't you know wasn't right for her character to be there um, but then you have, you know, obviously they reignited that with a, a, a new character, which worked fantastically. And you need, I mean, as, as you say, you need more female characters in these films because the books have none. And you know, to have a good, a good female elf that kills lots of people is, is, is uh, you know, out of character for for some, well, out of character for you know some of the ones in in them. Um, the Lord of the Rings, who don't yeah. really do much fighting. Yeah. But yeah, and uh, the, um, I would include uh, Aiden Turner by extension to, to her. She, he's not one of the best things in it, but he's certainly watchable and his uh, his quiet little conversations with her feel natural and um, they could have been really over-egged there and they could have really over-dramatized it and, and made it sickly and um, like teenage feeling. But uh, it, it, it mainly feels like something that could have happened and it had potential uh, rather than this, you know, big melodramatic, um, uh, I suppose, Titanic type relationship, you know. Mm. Uh, OK, number four, Smaug. Absolutely yes. brilliantly realized best cinematic dragon ever. Benedict Cumberbatch on absolute top form, just eating up those words and you can always tell when he's not at his best or the character's not at his best because they're just sort of like crowbarring him into doing a thing like chasing the dwarves around or, or shouting at uh, uh, bard um but when he's talking with bilbo it's absolutely fantastic when he's doing the stuff that like that felt much like the Gollum sequence uh, as something they really knew what they were doing with there yeah which is interesting because when you go back to the uh, extended uh, the appendices, they were just like, well, we don't know what to do. There's loads of treasure everywhere, and I don't know how we're going to do this. Well, that that is another thing of like attention to detail. The fact they 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 shipped in like so much, so many coins. Yeah, and they actually, you know, they like you know that that is something they could easily do just with CG. Yeah. Um, but they, they but took they the time. tried and it didn't look <laughs> right. Yeah, the CG coins in uh, the end yeah. of uh, Unexpected look wrong as hell. The lights on them all wrong. They look way too clean. Yeah. Um, it was a, I did write down a, a line about that, but I can't remember where it is. <laughs> well.
step into the light. Something made of gold, but far more precious. There you are. That really is kind of why the uh, the the end. I am fire. I am death. That. That shivers. Fantastic. It's almost worth the fact that the third film doesn't really capitalize on that for that moment of, what have we done? That oh, That's a fantastic ending. It really is, actually, yeah. in retrospect. It's just that then it sort of just happens after that with this inevitability. You know, it's like, well, we knew Bard was going to shoot him. That arrow was going to go in that heart at some point. Um... And I don't know. I don't know if you'd have got that same feeling if the, if it had immediately followed on with Lake Town. But I still feel like anything that would have averted the level of ire that uh, Smaug followed by um, Five Armies gained. If you remember, Desolation actually got was better rated than uh, Unexpected. People were saying, "Oh, they're finally getting into into it now," and um, uh, you know, the, the people were impressed with the dragon. Uh, yeah. And the, yeah, and then five armies plummeted again. Yeah. So well, uh, yeah, I think probably the first one. Obviously, people had expectations of what a Hobbit film should be. Yeah, and yes, it was not met for those people. But um, uh, it was sixty percent for sorry, sixty four percent for unexpected, seventy four percent for desolation, sixty percent for battle. From an almost equal amount of votes between 216 and 271. Mm. Um, from the looks of actually, more people, a lot more people, 271 was for unexpected. So uh, a lot of people just didn't go to um, the uh, to the next one. And then a few more turned up for five armies. So it's like it's Attack of the Clones. People didn't go and see that on the, on the strength or indeed on the weakness of Phantom Menace. See, in that case, I completely understand that. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I. Yeah, I, I, I think people just had certain expectations of the first one. They weren't met. So they mm. just decided not to bother, or just you know thought it would be better just to wait until the over the extended editions are out, or just it's on DVD where they can, or Netflix say or not, yeah. not now. Five Armies still made a billion. It made more than um, uh, Smaug did. Same as uh, Revenge of the Sith, because everyone was like, right, we're finally going to uh, see Darth Vader here. So they came back in, in more numbers than with uh, Attack of the Clones. We're disappointed. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, Smaug was uh, 958 versus uh, over a billion for uh, Five Armies, mm. which is a shame, because it means a lot of people didn't see Smaug at all doing his thing. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I, I, I don't know why you'd... I, I just can't conceive of doing that, really. But I mean, mathematically speaking, they could have made two billion dollars on making two films, or three billion dollars, or just under making three films. So re- mathematically, of course, it makes much more sense. But then you've got to factor in three years worth of marketing rather than two years worth of marketing. And like you know, the video game, the Lego video game came out. 
they they got to the end of desolation in the game and then they promised that they were going to have um five armies stuff added as dlc and then they just didn't yeah that really annoyed me yeah because um it's actually you know the the hobbit was you know a far better fit for lego than mm. uh, than lord of the rings ever was yeah um, Lord, playing Lego Lord of the Rings was difficult in places just because it's just it's so irreverent to the films. Yeah, it's totally and not, all just not horrible in a good way. Times, I mean, because yeah. um, obviously, you know, the Star Wars Lego is not reverent to the films at all, really, but mm. it fits with that because it's not particularly serious, um, especially when they're doing the prequels. Yeah, but um, like, you know, uh, when, when Lego Theoden's dying and you've got like Lego Pippin photobombing him, it's yeah, it's, fuck off <laughs> at that point. <laughs> Um, and and I actually, you know, I, the, the Lego Hobbit was was you know obviously it fits a lot better. The the dwarves are making you know make fun of stuff. You know it, the humour, the slapstick humour fits certain parts of the films a lot better. And they just decide not to do the third one. It's, mm. it's like I would like to actually finish that story, but um, yeah. well, um, no, they, they could feasibly have done it in Lego Dimensions, couldn't they? <laughs> Anyway, um, that's expensive, so I don't want them to do it in there. <laughs> God, no. Yeah, that's a rabbit hole I'm not going down. You'd need Thorin's gold for that. Um, <laughs> all of it. All of it. Okay, uh, Balin, Dwalin, and Boffer, because they didn't really, um, it's going back to it, they, they, uh, they, they lack of textured, detailed characterization of most of the dwarves, but for Balin, Dwalin, and Boffer, they all got their own fantastic moment, and those guys were wonderful to watch. Yep. <laughs> Ken Stock, um, Graham McTavish, and uh, oh, the guy that uh, ruined it for uh, James Batchelor, James <laughs> Nesbitt. Because all he saw was James Nesbitt. Is, is that still the case, James? I can't remember. I sort of can see that. I mean, I can sort of see that to excel. I definitely do that with other, other actors in other films. Mm-hmm. Um, but and they, they sort of did, I mean, obviously, the behind the scenes stuff, they did say they. Um, tried sort of like more heavy makeup and prosthetics for the drop the, for yeah. the dwarves, but he just didn't. You know, he looked old and he didn't look like them. Was Thorin too big for it? <laughs> Thorin had a massive forehead. Yeah, and obviously they, they wanted to try and go away that because of uh, John Rhys Davis having a lot of problem with the prosthetics. Just yeah, yeah. things. John Rhys Davis came to visit them and said, "You poor bastards!" <laughs> I did. I thought that was one of my favourite scenes. The in yeah. the uh, none of you are Muslim, are you? Because <laughs> I hate Muslims now. Apparently, what really? Yeah, no, you don't heard about that. John Rhys no. Davis has now become a super uh, right wing Muslim hater. Uh, okay, it's my formerly favourite part of that <laughs> was when he came up when he came, uh, when he went uh, came up on set just and went daddy to uh, Gloin. That was. <laughs> Indy, we're being attacked by Muslims. <laughs> Sorry, it's terrible. But uh, he started it with all his hate. Um, okay, so um, Thorin, jumping straight into my number two slot, uh, is absolutely fantastic. I, I, there's a, a bit of a sort of a drop-off where he becomes um, just just dislikable at times, Uh like purposefully dislikable throughout um, uh, five armies. But um, there's a genuine tragedy in Richard Armitage's performance. Somebody said that this is a TV actor. He has no place being amongst uh, Ian McKellen and, and, and Christopher Lee. Sharon, you, you confirmed this one. He's theatre trained. He, yeah, he has done theatre. He's, you know, it's not as if 
Guy of Gisborne is the only thing he's ever done. So yeah. it's a, a but, bit unfair, uh, I think. Yeah, uh, Armitage's performance was fantastic, especially at the very end. And uh, playing any time he's playing off Martin Freeman or Ken Stott or Ian McKellen, basically the people he's around, uh, yeah, he just he's able to mirror them, which is always why you get your best actors, you put them together, you give them great dramatic scenes. So um, ultimately, the my my version of uh, events, uh, the first film, Unexpected Journey, is most definitely Bilbo's film. Second film, King Under the Mountain, most definitely Thorin's. They even name check the uh, film at the very beginning. There is no king under the mountain when the elves are chatting. And then later on when uh, uh, Smaug's going ballistic at Bilbo. I am king under the mountain. So it kind of, it fits. And um, then when Thorin dies at the end, he literally becomes the king under the mountain. As he's buried. It's a, there's a, there's a, a wonderful poignancy in a Shakespearean tragedy of the character. He's uh, uh, and, and also, also a brilliant idea to make him young and, rather than old, to give him that sense of potential that what his life could have been, mirrored by the, the uh, Killy and um, Tariel relationship. And uh, to have that um, him played by a young, vibrant man. And Chris, can you guess my number one? Because we've barely mentioned him yet. Uh I don't know, it's just very late. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, it's, yeah, my phone is not massive. It's nearly three hours so far. Yeah. Uh, Bilbo. Oh, yeah, yes. Of yes. The, the man who That's comes charity. out of it <laughs> squeaky clean. No, I don't think I've ever heard a word of complaint about Martin Freeman. If you want to talk about grabbing a character with both hands, claiming it as your own, whilst at the same time lovingly um, recreating, re- uh, sorry, referencing but not... Uh, piggybacking the Ian Home performance from another phenomenal actor and just being able to get through this whole thing with everybody loving you. Martin Freeman did it. Yeah, I think that's why it's sort of like the Riddles in the Dark is my favourite scene because that, that was his first scene and he completely got who Bilbo was, completely yeah. got how to play him against Gollum and you know, that's halfway through the film. So, he, you know, he sort of has to play this character he's never played before and play the character that has been through completely, you know, stuff that he's never done before. Mm-hmm. So it's, and he nails you, you, it. Yeah, you need to be a, a very good actor to be able to do that. And yeah. it's and, and yeah, him him against um, Ian McKellen as well is, is, you know, when they, a few times they actually act up, you know, on, uh, against each other, it's... You know, it's it's similar to sort of Frodo, Gandalf, but you know, it's different. You know, it's but it's different. So it's you know, it, it could have gone into that, but he had enough idea of who you know who he is as a character to to do it perfectly, basically. Yeah, um, and the fact that you know that he obviously has a sort of respect for acting and a respect for all his. Uh, uh, all the other actors that he he would you know stay st- you know, when another actor could just say oh, I you know done my lines I can go away now he stayed and just mm-hmm. um, and the fact the fact that he could give like different performances every take yeah. it's like you know that it's good for Peter Jackson because then he could you know, pick the best one and that's like you know you need to you, know, you need to be a very good actor to be able to a play a character and b play a char- play the same character in different ways. Um, you know, it just like each take just do something completely different, and it's you know it makes 
makes the character special. Yeah. And um, he, he managed to appeal to adults who, who all, most of, most of whom have got comfortable enough lives that they wouldn't want to uh, leave, but at the same time um, would like to go on an adventure, but that would be torn about it. That completely appeals to adults, but he charmed the hell out of the kids as well. You know, that's, that's a, that's a tough balance. Ultimately, even, you know, even Elijah Wood didn't manage it. A lot of like, your dad would want to hit Frodo, didn't he? Sharon? <laughs> Does he? Okay. <laughs> wow. Glad you're on board with this one. <laughs> I, oh, no, I, I can agree with that. I, I, there are certain bits in Two Towers from Return of the King that I just really don't like Frodo. Mm. And that is because of Elijah Wood. He does. It's the the it's the sappy scenes. He just doesn't do well. Yeah. It's the I think it's in Two Towers when he said, you know, uh, Sean Aston says, um, "Tell me about Mister." Uh, uh, yeah, tell, uh, you know, uh, Elijah Wood says, "Why want to hear about Sam?" Probably wouldn't have got very far about him, and it's just it's so sappily done. <laughs> when Sean Aston does it so much, the problem, I think Sean Aston's a better actor than Elijah Wood is. Mm. So just the he does like the the. Um, he does that a lot better than Elijah would just goes far too far. Yeah. Ultimately, Sean Astin is probably closer in terms of just like never putting a foot wrong, apart from that one time when he put his foot on a shard of glass. <laughs> um, uh, as as Sam, uh, as a, a similar level of um, just nailing it as a character like just being given this fantastic character and just getting him right over and over again that's the closest to, uh, to the performance of, of Freeman as Bilbo but specifically Freeman I think you said this way when we did, did uh, Unexpected First Time Round Sharon managed to take elements of all four of the original Hobbits and sort of weave them into Bilbo whilst at the same time still being Martin Freeman mm, yeah and uh, yeah Plus, Captain Mannering's in there too. So, yes, that was really good. That scene, that that that. Okay, yep, I can see that now. Yep, and just the the, the comic timing on this guy, just it's fantastic. The, the whole um, the, if balance loses, we it's at home. Fair enough. Just the, the the pause, the wait, the just like letting the audience go uh, along with him, and then just boom, just trailer worthy moments. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's fantastic. So the point when you actually get to see Bilbo and Gandalf just sat there at the very very end of all things, the literal end of all things now, and um, just sort of closing up shop. It's it's just these two titans sat there exhausted. And they should be victorious, but they're sort of trying to sort of come to terms with this this vast emptiness. It, it's a wonderful, somber scene. And it's so... It, it feels kind of like a... The, it's tonally... Difficult to finish the Hobbit trilogy and the Lord of the Rings trilogy on this note of... Uh, which is what it really feels like, and ultimately, that's that's what the, uh, the how the book goes. It does have that melancholy. It does have that looking back. Uh, it doesn't have that kind of joyful. We won. It, the The operation was a complete success, but the patient died. Ultimately, uh, Gandalf set these things into motion so that uh, Smaug would not head up the armies of Sauron and bring utter ruin to everywhere they went. 
And to do that, he had to sacrifice a lot of people from Lake Town and the line of Durin. Yeah, I, 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 um, that is a sort of, um, sort of, I suppose, war story stuff. I prefer that it's more realistic that, yes, you can defeat the big bad person, but, you know, we take heavy losses and, um, you know, all these people will have died, but technically they've died for the, to, for, to, to serve a good purpose. Um, as opposed to uh, sort of war stuff that is like, oh, we, we defeated the evil person, it doesn't matter who died, um, we defeated the evil person, they all died. Mm. Um, which is sort of more, I suppose, European versus American aspect uh, uh, approach to stuff like that, because, I mean, British war films are all, you know, we did our duty, but all these people died. <laughs> and American war, war films are all, we killed the enemy. So just an idea, rather than... Uh just sort of sitting there blasted and then cutting straight to burr, burr, burr. a completely wordless scene because remember they had a whole load of stuff worked out to written down that Gandalf and Bilbo were going to say but eventually they just made it they said all that stuff without saying the words they just sat and regarded each other Bilbo sits next to uh, Gandalf for a while then he gets up and sort of decisively sort of squares his shoulders a little bit walks over to uh, a patch of earth scrapes away at it pops the acorn in there pats it down gets up and goes and sits next to Gandalf still blasted but with a kind of yep gonna plant a tree here this very spot kind of way I I don't think that people would have objected to that scene no that would have been a lot better because there was a bit of a hard cut between that scene and then the, the horns yeah um, and you could still have that that sense of like it's still wordless it's still but the point is that Bilbo has made a a, a, a tiny strangle little effort to come back from this yeah. you know so <sighs> but yeah that that would some in some way have mitigated the ending there a little and uh, I, I don't know I also don't know why they cut the funeral out of the um, the, the theatrical version yeah. it is baffling <laughs> that's like one of the main I mean that is like one of the big things in the book um, oh, yeah but- the funeral very funerals the are there to give us funerals yeah. are there to give us closure yeah. ultimately there's a you know reason that Frodo goes into the west to give us closure on, on him and that side of the story and it's, that's his funeral effectively a yeah. Viking funeral where the boat doesn't catch fire yeah especially mm. then that, that makes the, the horns they, they're not there for any reason in the theatrical mm. unless it's like Theodore's funeral they're like we've got to cut a funeral out just to save time no matter what well at least that, that you sh- they showed his grave yeah. you know, the barrow that he was in so at least you, you know you don't necessarily show him being interned but you know he is in there and there is a sad moment about that well it's 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 incredibly key to Theoden yeah, ultimately you still get that sadness from Bilbo as he's leaving with Balin and the, and the, the just the, him being able like having to because this was one of their last days all together as well so when you know Bilbo's saying you know come by any time don't knock. Lovely uh, moment, which would have been made more poignant by the fact that we would have seen just before then in cinemas the three dwarves that couldn't make it. Yeah. Ultimately, we've got that in the extended edition. What we don't have is the acorn scene. And we, I, I kind of wanted to end this on a high note, and ultimately they 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 have done so much right in this series, and they they made a few duff decisions. But um, 
certainly not enough to ruin it for us. It was, however, enough to ruin it for everyone else. Yeah, I think the pro- I think um, I got a bit more out of it after watching the making of stuff, just to sort of know how sort of up against it they were. The fact that they've produced these is a testament of how um, talented they all are, because mm. quite a lot of other filmmakers would, you know, would just produce garbage, but. You know, they had a few months to of pre-production, which is nowhere near what they had before. But they still managed to produce, you know, they produced three good films. It probably would have been two great films, but um, you know, they just thought that would be the better option, and that was a, a fortunate. <laughs> We've gone step. for quantity over quality this time. Well, I think they they thought they could do three great films, but they didn't. Mm. <laughs> they were shot. <clears throat> But it's a, it's a good uh, testament to us all that, you know, if you're going to learn from your mistakes as well. So you learn from the mistakes of others. And ultimately, they're not terrible mistakes. They will come back. Peter Jackson will direct again. People will eventually. I mean, people still haven't stopped ragging George about the prequels. So maybe he won't direct again. Uh, but um, <clears throat> Del Toro it, certainly will. Yeah, the technical difference between... Uh, George Lucas and Peter Jackson is that uh, George Lucas doesn't seem to have understood the mistakes mm. from like what I what I've heard about him um, when Peter Jackson you know just stuff he said you you understand he knows that some of the stuff is bad he knows that they haven't had enough time they know that they just had to make stuff up but it's just that's what just happened on the day um, so mm. I think the next thing he does. He will want. He will get more pre-production. He will like mm. demand it. Um, well, George had three years between each film. Yeah, I will. Yes, and he actually shows how. And well, the fact that I mean, the whole George Lucas thing. He just he wrote films that didn't tie in properly with his original films. Mm. There are large bits in the prequels that are factually and you now canon-wise are not what happens in the <laughs> old films. Um, so, <sighs> yeah. It's, but these do tie in. Yeah, these, these, yes, they, they um, actually remember what they wrote. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, Although yeah, they, they, there are moments, if you listen to the commentaries, where Peter will go, what's, what's, what's that guy's name? And like, oh. <laughs> Please, Peter, tell me you know this guy. <laughs> well, I don't know. I just, you know, you don't watch these films as much as you do. Yeah, the impression is that you know, the people making the whole bit have much more respect for Lord of the Rings than George Lucas has for Star Wars. Yeah, um, he has turned it into a vehicle to make to make CGI changes that he thinks he are had. good. He had, and this is going to date as well because this is going out after Episode Seven when we'll, uh, uh, yeah, hopefully <laughs> have forgiven him for all his misdeeds because he did the right thing by selling it to Disney at the right yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, there's still a little lead left in the pencil of the original actors. I would have, I would have liked it if it had been before the prequels, but um, <laughs> wouldn't we all? <sighs> Sharon, any any final words on the Hobbit? Um, I think the only other thing that I kind of wanted to mention, but it's not really arisen organically, um, was to do with the distance between what I think they really wanted to do and what they were able to do. What you were saying about um, Lake Town and the, the sacking thereof would have seemed much more... Um, visceral and more gripping if if there'd been model work involved um and you can see what they can achieve when they do put their minds to that in what they did with dale they built an entire market square Mm. 
and filmed and then it. burned it down. Exactly, but the the point being that they they made this gorgeous location um, to use for what amounted in the film to no more than a few minutes. Hmm. Um, One and, of my favourite bits as well. One of yeah, absolutely, and bits. that's why because it feels visceral, it feels real, it feels as though there is actually um, something concrete going on there. Um, so I think that the fact that there were areas where they did that when they had the time that kind of leave me wanting to give them um, as much benefit of the doubt mm. as, as I possibly can. That, that there is evidence there that that is what they really, really wanted to do. Um, they just weren't able to. I definitely agree with what Sharon said. It's, you know, if I think they first had the pre-production, it would have been, you know, they would actually have been able to. Um, fulfil their vision and unfortunately I just didn't have the time in most cases Chris, thank you so much for sticking with us through all of these podcasts it's been one hell of a ride I love Lord of the Rings so it's good to talk about (laughs) Um, and yeah yeah, obviously these films are not as good as Lord of the Rings but I still thoroughly enjoyed watching them like at least twice in the cinema and then the DVD and then the extended edition Blu-ray so and just the you know the hours the ten hours of or so of extra stuff um, per film it's just fantastic to watch so I thank mm. you both for letting me talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was absolutely our pleasure. They never got to Moria, did they? Yeah, that, yeah, that <laughs> we were going. Oh, there's going to be so much actually, Moria stuff actually, they could do. That was the the one. Well, I, I do. I did. Should have said. Um, I do like that. You know, giving Baal in you know, actual character makes that scene a lot more yeah. um, impactful. Heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah and, and um, Ori being there as well. <laughs> also, these now do stand up to, you can now watch these, one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, and feasibly, if uh, grown-ups out there are thinking of having kids, you could get this one, your kid, to the point where when Gandalf falls in Fellowship, because they haven't seen the trailers over and over again, they don't know he's coming back. So it'll be after four films, and they will feel that, like, rather than just two-thirds of one, they will feel a great, great loss for Gandalf when he falls at that point. Yeah, and that's the way it's got to be done, really, hasn't it? Yeah, I did like the, um, how Shaw sort of acknowledged that about, you know, the uh, Battle of the Five Armies. It's not the last film. It is the third of six. Of six, yeah. Um, so actually, you actually you hear that at the end of the, um, like after all the credits are done in all of the films, but return of the King, it just sort of ends in the return of the King. There's a big crescendo. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just goes to a, to a rise and then stops. Cause that is the final film that of this, yeah. of this, whatever six is six films. Sextet. Yeah. That, that's so, um, um, and I, I, you know, I like that he acknowledged that, and you know, wrote the wrote the score to, to keep that in mind that it's, you know, it needs to it needs to feel like sort of the end of the film, but not the end of a trilogy because it's not really, yeah, um, which is good. Ultimately, this this for me averages out as a four star trilogy. The uh, comparisons with the Star Wars prequels are ridiculously exaggerated. There were a certain amount of the bad habits of that production did creep in. I still, I still got what I wanted, which is more time in middle earth. And I'm, I'm sure we will be back here on the big screen for some new storytelling 
either a new version of Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit or The Silmarillion or better yet, something new moving forward and into the fourth age at some point within our lifetimes. I, forever. <laughs> I don't know about that because they're very protective now. They've, they've Because the Tolkien estate did not like the films, even they didn't even like the Lord of the Rings films, you know, and obviously Silmarillion, is, I think, is a complete no-go for any ad- adaptation. Yeah. And I, I don't think it would make a good film anyway. I think a, a sort of Game of Thrones production value style um series would would fit better because you could do sort of like you can because then you can just like a few a few episodes about you know this bit and then skip yeah skip yeah. ahead um i would like that i would like that to happen quite a lot because there's a lot of silver i would like to see but um i i, I don't think it's gonna happen anytime soon <laughs> well our lifetimes i'm hoping are gonna be quite long <laughs> uh, yeah I, it depends how old the person that the Tolkien family member that holds the rights is at the moment. Well, my, forever, forever is a long time, as Elrond will tell you. Uh, it's uh, it, forever is too long, in fact, to jealously, legally squat upon a copyright like uh, a dragon. Ask Disney. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe the next adaptation might come around sometime. It, it might. Go, it, it in a thousand years' time, there'll be something new. Put it like that. Nothing is going to be sacred forever. Ultimately, um, the fact that Tolkien kind of like said, right, and then the ring was destroyed and that was it for, th- for Middle Earth. And then basically they evolved into men and then there was never any more trouble on there. There's so many more stories that can well, be told after did. Aragorn becomes king. Yeah, he did start writing a book about the fourth age, um, yeah. which was about, yeah, sort of all uh, Gondor getting evil again. Yeah, well, but there's, there's, they could do that. There's, yeah, there's vast potential. I think moving forwards is so much more interesting than going back because ultimately, yeah. going back, all you're really doing there is is bringing mythology to the screen. Going forwards, you can focus on character and you can make it something that will actually people won't know what to expect. And it doesn't necessarily have to be wetter, but you'd be crazy not to bring wetter in on this. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily have to be Peter Jackson. I think he would pretty much insist not to, to direct it, but he might produce it. You know, again, I would imagine he's going to live for quite a long time and say 80 years from now, when he's 130 (laughs) and a a head in a jar, he could still produce. I don't know what's going to be like. Maybe it'll be future armor tech at that point. We'll see. But uh, basically what I'm not going to, you know, this is all leading up to the fact that, um, it's almost certainly never, whatever comes next, it's almost certainly never going to feel as special and as singular an experience as the Lord of the Rings trilogy were to us. And they will always remain six star trilogies. Like they go beyond the, the average mortal five stars. Um, but where does achievement of bringing this world, its, its cultures, its peoples, its weapons, its armor, its creatures, its mountains and forests and little, little rivers to life has made an indelible mark on cinema and the way literature is adapted, raising the bar even to the point where it is going to be difficult to reach it again themselves. So this is a last goodbye, but I'd like to believe it's only goodbye for now.